Are you ready? Are you ready for September? 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 Because it's coming. Because it's coming. Because it's coming. Because it's coming. Welcome to the next installment of the School of September series, brought to you by the Western Huntsman Podcast, in conjunction and partnership with Phelps Game Calls and Spree Extreme Mountain Gear. Elk Hunting 201. Class is in session. Oh man, that was awesome. I'm pumped. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to the Western Huntsman Podcast for the July installment of the School of September series. I've got the one, the only, the honorable Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources on for this episode, and I'm super pumped about it because we uh, we do something a little bit different, and I'll explain that in just a second. So uh, again, this is the fourth installment of the School of September. Guys, we're like, we're, we're inching ever so close. If you're in Utah, you're well under a month away. Uh, other states, we're getting close to about a month out. And uh, as of the date of uh, at least the, the release of this episode, so uh, you might listen to this next week, and we're already closing the gap even that much further. So who's pumped? I'm pumped. Uh, you probably noticed, like, it's, I think it's funny. Every time I've released a School of September episode, um, there's like this different intro <laughs> and what part of it was because I lost the original intro that I made. And, uh, so last time I just went with the regular Western Huntsman podcast and now, uh, yeah, you know, I got this soundboard that I like to play with and make all sorts of sound effects and stuff with. So I put this one together. Hope you guys liked it. It's kind of fun. I love doing that kind of stuff. So anyway, like I was telling you, you guys, this episode, I've got Chris Rowe and, uh, y- you got to check this one out because it's super different. Uh, in terms of like the format that we that we talk about, and I hope that you have some stamina because it's like a two hour discussion, and it's a really good discussion. It's one of those discussions that the 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 second half of it is ever bit as good, if not better, than the first half. So don't tune this one out because there is tons of uh, information that. Uh, from a guy that listens to a lot of hunting podcasts, you're not going to hear a lot of this anywhere else. This stuff that that Chris and I talk about, instead of the the usual, you know, what's your strategy? How do you start calling? How do you kind of do this? How do you do that? We kind of get into more of a like a 201 thing. We don't talk a lot of strategy. In this episode, we talk more about like the biology and the behavior and the nuances of elk and elk hunting and the, the important things that I think people should should know and, um, you know, the, just the more you know about the animal you're hunting, the more the, the better you're going to be, right? And, and so that's kind of the idea behind this one. Chris Rowe is by trade an animal wildlife behavioralist uh, biologist. And, you know, so is his wife. In fact, they both run... A, these consulting companies about wildlife and and uh, basically all sorts of stuff from from getting the landscape 
uh, improved for, for better wildlife management to actual wildlife management to all this stuff. And Chris Rowe is super, super passionate about what he does. He's extremely knowledgeable. This dude used to go up into the high country of Colorado and camp out with the elk for weeks at a time as part of his degree program. And it's a, he's just a really interesting guy that has a very, um, unique perspective, I guess, so to speak. And, and that is what is important because as you guys know, as we release these School of September episodes, these, these are bonus episodes on top of the normal Western Huntsman podcast episodes. And the idea is, and without going into too much detail, because I explained this further with Chris and, and, and him and I have a really good conversation about this, but there's, there's so many resources out there for you guys to take advantage of and, and, and get on the, the right uh, the right level with elk hunting and the and the right uh, direction be pointed in the right direction and and the goal here is that you guys have a little bit of information that comes out of each one of these episodes that you could put into your toolbox as you go out into the September elk woods and that's what that that's what gets my juices flowing you could tell I'm I'm pretty pumped I'm pretty excited uh, Chris and I recorded last night and so. I want you to listen to all of the School of September episodes. If that's the only episode you're listening to of this podcast, I'm, I'm totally cool with that. Obviously, I'd love you to tune into the other ones too, but I'm totally cool with that because September is closing in on us. It's my favorite hunt. It's my favorite time of year. Um, I'm, I'm super stoked about this September. There's a lot of things that are lining up. So listen to the elk nut, Paul Medell. That was episode one of the School of September. Then we brought in Dirk Durham, the double D, uh, the, the bugler. And uh, he's got just a little bit different approach than the elk nut, right? And then we bring in Corey Jacobson, who uh, is is just a, a serial elk killer like the other two. And and he's got just a little bit different perspective and, and approach and, and strategy in the way he hunts elk. And so take a little bit of all of that and mesh it into your own program and your own thought process and your own style of hunting. And now, now you've got another one. Uh, with Chris Rowe, where we talk a lot more in depth about behavioral, uh, the, the nature of elk and, and how they move and when they break apart and when they're in bachelor groups and when they go into the rut and why they go into the rut. And we have a really interesting conversation about what attracts a cow elk to a big bull elk or, or just a bull elk, what, what, what they're looking for and why that it's important for you to know that as an elk hunter, because it, it will, man, it'll, it'll make a big difference for you. So this is a great episode. Chris is one of my favorite guys to get on the show because he's like me in the sense that he's super passionate. He likes to geek out on this stuff. I love diving into this stuff. I could, I, we could have kept this thing going for like four hours, but we, we didn't stop recording till hell. It was, it was like after midnight his time. Cause he's in Kansas and uh, we just have a great conversation. It's, it's really exciting every time I get him on. And I want to thank him again for coming on the show, uh, as well as all the other, all the other uh, professors, if you will, that have come on the School of September series podcast here for the Western Huntsman. So, guys, this podcast is brought to you by Phelps Game Calls. Get them close. If you don't have your Phelps gear, you need to get it. And if you're not blowing Phelps... <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you're missing out. So um, make sure you're getting your Phelps gear. Uh, we've got a promo code in the show notes for you. If you guys want to check that out, I believe it is Huntsman 10 for 10% off at Phelps. And then Scree, Extreme Mountain Gear. Guys, if you're in the market for technical hunting apparel, you want some new camo that's uh, high-performance gear that you could take out into into any of the uh, the, the Elkwoods, whether it's a September, you're going into October or November, Scree's got you covered. 
And it's a, it's a really cool company because you get that high-performance technical apparel without breaking the bank. Now, I'm not going to get too far in depth, but I do have a, a promo code for that as well. And you, you can find that in the show notes. That's a Western Huntsman. That is going to save you 15% off and free shipping, which is always a good deal. Also, as a bonus promo code, if you guys are interested in some Hoffman boots, I love the Explorers. I'm going to try out the six inches this year and or, or the sixes and so a uh, little bit uh, not as tall of a boot as as what i've been running in the past but uh, these these things are these, these are great boots i had the eight inch and ran them for a long time they put a lot of miles on them um, if you want to take advantage of a 15 percent discount with hoffman boots feel free it's going to be in the show notes that one's tricky it's got to be all caps lock huntsman 15 and uh that is that is a promo code for that guys Thanks a bunch for tuning in. The, the support and uh, friendships I've gotten out of this have been amazing. Keep it up. I, I really enjoy getting to know all the listeners out there as much as I can. Uh, you guys have been fantastic. Thank you for the great reviews. Um, be sure to check us out on Instagram at The Western Huntsman. Check us out on, on Facebook. Uh, on the, the, the Facebook page is The Western Huntsman. Or you can come and join a group called Hunting the West Dash The Western Huntsman. Lots of good topics and conversations going on in that group. And I want to keep that going and build that as well. So uh, with that said, guys, and without further ado, uh, get, um, I don't care if you're drinking a cup of coffee or uh, an ice cold beer or whatever your poison is, because you're going to want to buckle up for this episode. We bounce all over the place and talk about all sorts of things. And you guys, I believe, are going to really like it. With that said, guys, give it up for my guy uh, down there in Kansas. One of my favorites, Chris Rowe, Rowe Hunting Resources. Here we go. All right, guys, welcome back to the School of September series. I am on the line with one of the most highly requested return guests that we've ever had at the Western Huntsman Podcast, and I shit you not. Chris Rowe, welcome back, brother. <laughs> hey, thanks. Are you seriously? There, I, did you have three people ask? No, no, no. I, I'm serious. So <laughs> we, we did that turkey episode where we spent an hour talking about elk and then, then finally talked about turkey. Uh, and, and after the, that episode went out, I've had, I probably get three or four emails a month asking when we're getting Chris Rowe back on to talk about elk because we threatened to do it when you were on the first night. Night. Nice. Well, so, so by that token, then should we talk Turkey tonight? We might have to, it depends on how much we're drinking. <laughs> talking about, talking, talking an hour about turkeys and then go, Oh yeah, by the way, it's elk season coming up. Might as well throw in a couple of them. Let's pepper that in there. <laughs> no kidding. That's, that's, that's exactly what happened last time. It was a, it was a great conversation, but you're, you're actually a lot of fun to, to, to have on these uh, podcasts, man. You're a great conversationalist. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about this one. Right on, man. Well, I, I am too. I, I apologize for, you know, for those that are listening, we, we had set a time and literally I'm, I'm getting scrambled, getting stuff done, getting the dogs taken care of, getting the horses fed. And then all of a sudden one of our contractors that I've been literally fighting. No, no, I can't say that. I wrong word. I've just really, really, really needed them to come out and give me an estimate and take a look at the project that we're doing. Uh -huh. And 
you know, with harvest and everything else going on, they couldn't get, well, all of a sudden he just shows up tonight. He's like, Hey, let's take care of that. I'm like, Oh God. Okay. Yep. Sure. <laughs> why not dive in? So I apologize. I guess. Yeah. Since you're on the West slope, it's not, or West, West uh, coast. I guess it's not as bad as it is for me. So I thought I was holding you up. So I, apologize. Well, yeah, I, I was going to say you were apologizing, but so I'm in North Idaho and so I, I, we're on Pacific time. So I'm two hours behind you, man. It's only 830 here. I'll be up for hours. Good. Well, we're, we're in the same boat on that. I just was, I was panicked. I'm like, oh man, I, <laughs> I, I told you we were going to do it. And then all of a sudden I, I'm not here. Ah, whatever. No, it's okay. If, if I didn't, if I didn't know you, uh, I, I would, I, I would have definitely been worried, <laughs> but I, I think we're in good shape, man. So I'm just, I'm happy right you're here. Uh, you're, you're one of the, uh, as I told you last time you were on the show, uh, you're the dude that basically uh, pointed me in the right direction when it comes to elk hunting. So I've got like this soft spot for you and row hunting resources in terms of the, the sentimental aspect of it. Uh, because right now there's, there's all these resources out there and everything, but uh, what, what really, uh, and I don't know if I even went into this last time, but I was raised mule deer hunting. And when we would dive into the elk, uh, the, the elk seasons and try to go after elk with a bow or with a rifle, we just kind of hunted them like, like they were mule deer. And it's why we very rarely notched any tags. And so when, when I found you, and I think it was when row hunting resources first came out, it completely changed my mentality on elk and how to pursue elk. And so it was perfect to get you back on for the school of September series. And you're just going to add a lot to it. And so, um, let's dive in. Do you want to, do you want to start by just kind of for anybody that doesn't know what row hunting resources is, uh, do you want to kind of describe row hunting resources and, and why you put it together and what it does, what it offers and, and how people could find it? Sure. I'll give you the short skinny on it. So as a wildlife biologist, I've always been passionate about animal behavior and along with that, you know, their communication vocalizations, uh, why they do what they do, uh, from, from a management from a management perspective, if the more I understand about their behavior, if I can, if I can dovetail my management projects or treatments or prescriptions, whatever, if I can kind of use that animal's behavior to my advantage, it just gives me a higher level of success on the landscape of doing whatever I want to do. So I've always focused on animal behavior and I mean, seriously, it's a longer discussion, but I was, I was on the Primos pro staff for a number of years giving seminars. And I was always the guy that said, you know, that, so what factor, if I'm going to sit there and give, if I'm going to sit and listen to somebody for an hour, I better be getting something out of it. You know, for me, it's me. It's always been an educational, don't get me wrong. I do like listening to podcasts that are, that are more entertainment occasionally but quite honestly uh, my bias my my just this is how i am my brain is hardwired i want to learn something if i'm going to spend a time with you i, I want to get something that i can use from it so i always focused on that so what factor well there's only as a pro staff we're giving uh seminars there's only so many times you can teach somebody how to use a uh, an elk call uh and so yeah. when i'm doing my seminars i'm like all right i've got to i've got to do something else so I started sharing in those seminars the stuff I was learning, the, the stuff that I was, you know, I, I was heavily in on from basically the mid 90s 
well, until now, but I mean, really from the mid nineties until the late 2000, you know, maybe 2010 to 2013, just heavily, heavily invested in elk behavior, communication, and what was going on. And so when I started doing those seminars, I, well, when I was doing those seminars, I started adding that material in with it and it really resonated with people. And so when about 2010, when internet started to become a little bit more user-friendly as far as content creators go. Um, we decided my wife is, so she, my wife is a wildlife biologist. She's an attorney. Mm-hmm. She also does all our web stuff. She's one of these people that can just tackle everything all at once and, and master it. Um, she, uh, she's, our, she's a webmaster. So she's built the website. And what we decided to do was say, okay, all of the biological behavioral communication, vocalization, all of the information that I have been gathering over the years, not only from, you know, everybody really focuses on what happens in September and maybe early October, but what I was looking at is everything from June and July when, when, or well, May into June, end of, you know, middle to end of May into June when the cows are, are, have their newborn calves to later in July and August when they're up on their summer range with the rest of the the herd, Um, obviously in September and October, but also then going back up into some places in the, on the winter range in some of these places where elk can be observed. And I just spent time really trying to pick apart what elk were doing, why they were doing it, what the fundamental core uh, behaviors were, what made them tick, and then when it came from communication and vocalizations, what were the base fundamentals that they were, that, that were always uh, in play 365 days a year? And yeah, so we decided and, to take, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. You, you did that thing, like when you were in college that you would spend the summers up basically living yeah. with the elk. And yeah, that's, upper, a, yeah, that's a super yeah. unique perspective because you're in, you're in the high country in Colorado. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's going to give somebody that like, like take me example, for example, I always, I always consider myself, you know, I've been around elk my whole life, right? I, I see them, uh, I've hunted them, uh, we, we've listened to them, but I've never had that kind of intimacy, that level of commitment, just studying elk for weeks at a time, living out of a backpack. And I was just to say, yeah, literally, you know, for part of that, for part of that is, yeah, we're literally camped on a, you know, a, a bench above them, you know, a few hundred yards away from, you know, 300 head of cows and calves. Yeah. And our job is to sit there and record all day long, record behavioral interactions between cows and their calves. And if we can secondary information, whether it's cows with yearling bulls or whatever, um, you're just, you're lit, you're sitting there, you're literally there Monday through Saturday living with them every week recording nothing but behavioral interactions and you can't spend that much time. I mean, this was five, I think I'm pretty sure it was five straight seasons. Mm-hmm. You can't spend thousands of hours just camped over elk and not pick up on it. If you, if you're passionate about that stuff, you're going to pick up on a few things. And I then feel, if, like, and I then feel if, like you have to be passionate to, to have that kind of commitment up, up in there. And I, you know, what's funny. I didn't know your wife was a wildlife biologist too. Oh yeah. So when we, we met in college, we, so we, I finished well, my story is a little bit longer, but 
let's just say I, I wrapped up my degree in at Colorado State University. I met Kelly there. She was getting her wildlife degree. So we graduated together. Uh, we were dating, obviously, for a number of years, decided to get uh, married. And then we both had experience with the Colorado Division of Wildlife and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Both of us decided, you know what, we'd like to try to maybe venture out in the private sector. We started a consulting company that ended up becoming Row Ecological Services. And so she still runs that side of our business today. She's actually in Colorado right now running, finishing up a, a large project. So, yeah, oh, no we, she'll run everything from, you know, your basically bird and bunny surveys. You know, if, if there's a road widening and you've got to get a wildlife clearance, if you need wetland delineation, burrowing owl stuff, we, we do a lot of stuff uh, with short grass prairie species, you know, whether it's conservation and or management. Um, yeah, she does all, any, anything that has to do with U.S. Fish and Wildlife, Corps of Engineers, uh, that type of stuff. That's so what I, she, I, I have a question on that note. So okay. you and your wife, you're, you're sitting at the dinner table. You guys <laughs> are both heavily involved in wildlife management and natural resources, and you have this consulting company, and you've got row hunting resources. What does that conversation like that look like? What, what, what do you guys talk about? The funny part about that question is something that Kelly and I laugh about all the time. Quite honestly, at dinner, we don't talk. It's funny. We go out to, we, yeah, so I we figured work, you'd say that <laughs> we, we, we work, we essentially work 24 seven with each other. So mm-hmm. we're constant communication. So we would go to a restaurant and we'd sit down to eat and we just wouldn't talk. He'd just sit there and eat. And I guarantee people are sitting there looking at like, these people aren't even talking to each other. Really? They, must, no. they must be fighting. <laughs> exactly. But no, I mean, it, the, the funny part about it is, 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 you know, and anybody that's out there listening that works with their spouse in their business, you know darn well that, yes, there are some days – the reason why you're doing it and the reason why it's successful is because it can be some of the most fulfilling endeavors period, because it, it, especially if you're in tune with your partner, you don't have to finish. You can finish your other, you know, your partner's sentences, you know what they're thinking, you know how they think and, and you can really trust them to just move forward that with what needs to get done with the flip side of that though, is this is what, who was it? Um, Oh, it was uh, Chris Rock. I think Chris Rock said, "Oh yeah, <laughs> if if you've never contemplated murder, you've never been in love." And so that's, I mean, literally working with your spouse twenty four seven. Trust me, it get there's there are some day there's some times where it gets contentious. But, oh, I guarantee um, it would. I, I guarantee it you is. would like I obviously with this pandemic, I was, I've been spending a lot more time with my wife and, and I married a, a, a world-class lady, you know, and she's, she's just, uh, she's my best friend and everything, but I guarantee you, she thinks about murdering me, especially when I'm <laughs> home with, you know, not where, where, you know, how back in the spring we're all stuck at home and, and there's a don't go out anywhere kind of order going on and, and yeah. uh, a quarantine I, that, that word was evading me there. We're all quarantined. I, I, I could tell just by the tone of her voice and the look she was giving me, uh, yeah. not only was she sick of me, but she was contemplating on our, you, on our little forest lot out here where she could bury my body. 
I was going to say, well, you, it was quarantine, but that doesn't mean that you can't go relegate yourself to the garage, damn it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, I almost did a few times. <laughs> so. No, it's it's fun. It, it is interesting. I mean, I, I tell you what, um, we look back on it. We, it, yeah, this conversation has come up a, a bunch of times. We've looked back on it over the years, and yes, it, has it has it created some limitations and, and stress in our life? Yeah, sure, it has. But man, what it also has allowed us to accomplish is pretty pretty remarkable. So I guess, like anything, there's always a trade off, and it just all depends on what you choose. And as long as you've found a, a partner that that uh, compliments you and and that can work with you, then man, I I think it's some of the best things that you can do. Yeah, I agree for sure. That's a, that's a super interesting dynamic. And, and so what, why, why it was important for me to get Chris Rowe on the show, get you back on the show for school of September is because of what you just kind of discussed and talked about in terms of the biology side and the behavioral side, because I've had, so we've had, so far we've had the elk nut Palmadale, we've had Dirk Durham, uh, which if you want to talk smack, he's, he talks some smack about you. Uh, on here because he caught wind of when you and I were talking about how he, he cross-dressed uh, last time. Well, and so, yeah, but uh, I, see, I just don't, but that's the thing is I don't understand why he doesn't embrace that side of his personality. <laughs> I think it would absolutely blow open his entire marketability. It would expand he, his audience for sure. Incredibly like in so can yeah. you imagine, I mean, just think of the traffic, the Bugler brand would get if he was modeling his lingerie on the runway in New York City. <laughs> Come oh, on. I mean, just, get, his Insta followers would go crazy. He'd have all I mean, Yeah. I, it's, <laughs> and and you, you tailor that. Okay. Tailor that with his new flat brim hat line. Dude, <laughs> he's, he's got everything covered from the Paris runway to – the Utah Flats. I mean, it just doesn't matter. I mean, he he would crush it. He I would just crush it totally. I, and and I, it's funny you said I gave him I gave him a hard time. I told him uh, one of his hats he brought into the studio because he you know he, he well actually he just he moved to Boise but he, he used to not live very far from me so he he actually came into the Broken Time Studio here and brought some hats in and I I was telling him one of those were a little too hipster for my my style so I <laughs> I snatched up the other one and gave it away but um. Uh, yeah, you, want so, to know, you want you want to know something serious though? Yeah. So I so we everybody kept asking about us whether or not rolling resources were going to have hats. And so uh-huh. yes, we by the way we do we do have hats now. But I'm I'm 48 years old. I'm I'm the guy that likes the low profile hat. I like the, I like the unstructured hats. And if it's going to be a semi-structured hat, I, I don't want some Elmer Fudd looking thing. And so I'm <laughs> yeah. not one of the guys that, that wears some of these. Do you realize how difficult it is this day, in this day and age to find an actual low profile unstructured hat that actually looks good? Oh, it, yeah. It doesn't it's hard. exist. Anymore. It's like I want to buy a unicorn. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing, man. It's hard. It's tough picking them out. There's so many options and everything, but they're, none of them are just right. I'm picky about my hats, so I'm going to check out your exactly. hats that you have, and, and if I like them, I'm going to buy one from you, but uh, I'm super picky I'll, about I, my hats. I hat. might have to send you one. You what? I might have to, send, I might have to just send you one. You send yeah, me no, one. I'm I'll model it. So, so we can laugh all we want, but I think Dirk's got this thing dialed in. I mean, Dirk is... 
he he might be from the backwoods living under a log, but he's he's kind of gotten some uh, marketing. He, whoever is whoever's doing his marketing and his thinking for him, I'm not confident that it's him, but whoever's behind him is doing a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got a good thing going, and and I sure like having him on the show. I don't know if you noticed or not, but he brought his buddy uh, Doug Flutie into the studio, and we did an episode with saw, Doug Flutie, and it was super. That insightful and so one That's, for the record books for sure i'll, I'll send it exactly over to you. but yeah no, we, no, so no we had, I, I listen oh. i listen to it i listen to it oh <laughs> good or uh, did you or did you actually get video no i didn't get video i didn't get video oh but, damn uh, it so i don't know how to do that part man i can't figure out how to get the audio to cooperate with my video but i have a guy that is coming over to help me with that next week. And so we're going to figure it out so I can get these things on YouTube and stuff. So right now we're putting them on YouTube, but it's just the audio. And I think with, you just need to do, I think you need to do Dirk, do Dirk, 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 dude. I think you need to do what Dirk did and move to the big city. No way, man. I can't handle that. I, I've been to Boise. There's too much traffic for me. And I love Boise. But <laughs> I'm, I'm sticking to North Idaho. I'm sticking to North Idaho. Plus, I, th- I think we got more elk. How many people in Boise? Like twenty five hundred? <laughs> I don't. I I have no idea. I know, like in our county, there's I don't know somewhere around eighty thousand people or something like that. I, somebody's going to call me out on that. I'm probably way wrong, but seriously, uh, yeah. And and it's. I thought you lived in the sticks. Well, where where my wife and I, we live way out of town, but going back into 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 town, they it's not set up for the amount of people that have the the influx that have moved in over the oh. last like 10 years. And so now traffic's getting out of ta- out of hand right here in our little hometown of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And it takes forever to get, get through town. But um, anyway, it, man, you get me off on all sorts of rabbit holes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> you yeah, got your so, toe. Yeah. So we, we, we had old Dirk on the double D and, uh, and, and like I said, the elk nut and we had Corey Jacobson on and everybody's got a little nice. bit different, uh, twist or or process um and and method of hunting elk and and we we talked a lot about calling and calling scenarios and stuff like that and so with with you i'm really interested in the behavioral aspect and and you are the one that's got the right uh resume to to talk on this subject so uh elk behavior is is a really good place to start right on okay fire away okay man uh, well, actually, you didn't finish. So, row hunting oh, resources. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's so, go through so, that real quick. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Thank you. I, you know, you're you're right. So, I guess when when the internet became user friendly, Kelly started. Well, not started. She built a website, the row hunting resources website, where we could take and I could take all of the material that I had basically learned, and then put it on a platform that people could come and watch because that's the thing. I am a visual learner. I like watching things on video and listening. That's how I learn best. Some people learn best by reading. Some people learn by re uh, uh, by watching some, whatever I wanted to do it video based. So in 2010, we launched row hunting resources we kicked off a lot of the video content in about 2011. And then, so basically what it is, it's an online library. Um, now, Corey's stuff has gotten popular. The new Elk Collective has gotten popular. So 
now online subscription-based learning is now kind of mainstream. But when we started it, no one was doing that. I mean, it yeah, was weren't there people like giving you a, a bunch of shit for starting it and saying oh, it's never going to work? Man. Oh my God. We were the stupidest people on the planet because we weren't doing advertising. We weren't making it free and we weren't using advertising. And then, you know, in 2011, we came up with an elk hunters strategy app for your phone, like the Android and, and the, the Apple phones. Oh my, we got, we were <laughs> crucified because at that time apps were, you know, angry birds and Tetris and whatever else that you didn't bet. You didn't pay for an app that was a tool. Well, now I remember that I remember when that thing. Came oh, out. we, we got gutted. I mean, I'm, I thought we put, I mean, the elk hunter strategy app to this day is still probably one of the most powerful I mean, just from a hunting app is concerned as far as education, you know, on X now and, and, uh, Gaia and, uh, base map. And okay. Those are awesome. Different, different concept. When we're talking about education, as far as calling strategies, vocalizations, communication, behavior, and what to do, when to do it, why to do it. And you know, where the elk hunters strategy app, I think it's still like five bucks or something like that. That thing is, is a powerhouse. And now it's now people understand it, but back then, Oh my gosh, no. Is it still like the same format where like, I remember I, I, you can get on it and you could, it it would ask you, okay, where are the elk? Well, they're up on this North face. Okay. Are they doing this? Yes. Uh, And it kind of, yeah, super interactive. So it's, it's based off of what's called a dichotomous key. Um, so if anybody is a naturalist or environmental, you know, if you've done any botany work or forestry work or whatever, and you're trying to figure out something, you know, okay, what is this plant? All right. Does it have leaves like this or leaves like this? Well, it has leaves like, okay. So you choose that one. Now it sends you down this other rabbit hole. Okay. What about the flower? Does it look, it allows you to choose your exact scenario that you are interested in learning about or that you are currently in. So yes, that's exact. There's in that, if you, if you looked at my computer and the, the, the decision tree that how that thing breaks, there are literally over 600 different scenarios in that strategy app that allow you to go. So are you hunting early season, mid season, late season? When we're talking about bow hunting, so we're talking about September. You're talking early sea, early September, you know, early in the elk season rut, pre rut. Are you talking about middle part of the rut? Are you talking post rut? Mm-hmm. Are you talking? You want to go after bulls? You want to go after cows? Are you talking? Are are the bulls bugling? Or are they not bugling? Are they bugling this way, this way, or this way? It, I mean, it literally breaks it down so that way you lit- you can absolutely dial in your precise either scenario or the, what you want to learn about. And then it goes through. Okay. And, and, and the update that we did on it, when you jumped in, I think was early days when we did the 2.0 version, we moved a lot of the educational material cl- it, closer to the front of, because there was times when people would at, say, okay, is the bugle is, is the bull bugling this way or this way? And people would be like, well, he's bugling that way, but who gives a crap? Well, okay. You'd click and say, okay, he's bugling like this. Okay. 
here's why that matters. Here's behaviorally what's going on. So now that you understand what's going on with that animal and why that animal is doing what it's doing, now let's ask, was he talking? Is he talking now? Is he, was he talking earlier or is he dead quiet? Mm-hmm. Okay. He's talking now. Excellent. He's talking now. Okay. Is, is he with cows? It, it, le- it teaches you what is going on with that. Most likely what is going on with that animal, why he's doing it or why she's doing it. And then it gives you what I would do in that situation. And quite honestly, I mean, it's, it's just a monstrous database. And I have some updates that need to be put into that system. But it's the last okay. time we did the last time we did the update, it was monstrous. So anyway, I, we I'm digressed that on one. that. But, yeah, but I'm going to get that is, one downloaded again. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the important thing is, is it is a subscription base. And it's essentially like you're, you're, you're buying, an, you're buying a, a library card. So you get a subscription, it lets you through the door for, you know, we have a three month subscription. It's pretty cheap. We've got a full year subscription. That's just the elk. We've got a subscription base that will do the Turkey and the whitetail and everything. You can do whatever you want. We break it down and make it very affordable. So that way, you know, I think the yearly is like 50 or 70 bucks. I don't know. Anyway. For, but that's for yeah. real hunting resources, not the app, right? Correct. Correct. So the app is like five bucks that that goes, that's on your phone. Um, that's, and the thing is that is a standalone on your phone. So you download on your phone and you've got it. You don't have to have cell cell signal. If you subscribe to the website, that strategy app comes, it is a part of the website. So if you want on your mobile, say, say in some places in Colorado, you can literally be on the side of the mountain and have 4g lte signal mm-hmm. if that's the case you can just log into the elk you know the elk module elk hunting institute and you just log in and you can use it there it doesn't matter but the point being is is the website we've got about 50 some hours of content in there it's all video based it's always always been video based and it my lane and this is what i have a, a, the utmost respect for say like dirk or, or Corey or um uh, Joel Turner, or you know, we all have our unique philosophies. We mm-hmm. all have our unique take on what we value, what our value set is in the woods, and how we prefer to engage elk, and how we think about our elk calling. And the beautiful thing about all those guys is they all stay in their lane. We all stay in our lane. We all respect each other. And quite honestly, I'm glad people are going to Corey stuff. I want people to go to Dirk stuff. I want people to listen to Joel stuff because may, whether or not I agree with all of the, the nuances of stuff, it doesn't matter. But my stuff is in there as well. And the website allows you to get a much different, my website gives you a much different philosophy on calling and and the best way to put this right now and, and this has come up a couple times lately and i've got a couple people on the forums on my forums that are asking about this and i'm literally working on videos right now to to dive into some of this i really really lean on the fundamental behavior and the fundamentals of 
communication. And I do not, I do not rely on testosterone. I do not rely on estrogen. I do not rely on the rut. In, in fact, I would actually like, I tell people, ignore testosterone, ignore estrogen, and play at first. Start, start at the base level communication and vocalizations. That is a rock solid foundation from where you can build up in your calling sequences, in your hunting efforts, if you need to. And I stress the if you need to part because what I have seen, what a lot of people that have gone through my material and have learned it and and embraced it have have seen, utilizing the, the, the the bedrock foundation of behavior, communication, and vocalizations oftentimes will allow you to perform even when you have pressured animals, even mm-hmm. when you have the, the, the variability of, of testosterone and, you know, I, I mean, we could, we could dive all the into things all- into some of the rut. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm smelling what you're stepping in. Um, <laughs> you, you actually, you made some really good points in there that I, I want to just kind of back up a little bit real quick. Uh, because one of the points and I guess the, the, the idea and and premise behind this series of the school of September, uh, because you know, last time you were on the show, it was just for, for a regular episode of the Western Huntsman podcast. Right. And so the school of September series is a bonus episode that gets released every month. And the idea is like what you were saying, Corey Jacobson, he has a certain way that he hunts elk and he's very successful. The Elk Nut Palmadale, same thing. Dirk Durham, same thing. They're all successful. You guys tag out every year, sometimes multiple times a year. It's safe to say that uh, y- you guys know what you're doing. And so my, my goal with this is not just so that the listeners can take a little bit of uh, some, some knowledge and some nuggets and glean a little bit from each one of you guys, but also understand and know what resources that you guys provide that are available so that they could take it to a step further. Because I, I'm, I'm, I'm nutty about this stuff. Like I, I, I'm a nerd when it comes to, I devour things like row hunting resources and, and the website and the app and, and the elk collective and Corey Jacobs, elk one one I, I love all that stuff. And one could say that theoretically I am probably one of the most knowledgeable elk hunters out there because of it. Uh, yet one of the most wildly unsuccessful elk hunters because I fail to apply it in the correct way a lot of times, <laughs> which well, is and, a funny and, concept, but I know a lot about elk hunting because of all these resources. And I want the listeners to understand that it doesn't have to be one way or another. Take something from right. row that works with your personality and your, your uh, style of hunting and your, your level of motivation or whatever, whatever fits your personality and your, yeah. your, you know, your psyche and build off it. And, and, the, well, and, the, and it's not the foundation. Yeah. And it's not even just your psychology. I mean, depending on where you're hunting, you're going to deal with completely different herd dynamics. You're going to deal with different age structure within the bull population. Now, okay. Yeah. That's first, a great point. Right, right off the bat. Let's just assume 
the vast majority of people listening to this right now are going to are, are listening because they have the intent to go into the into the into the woods in September to go after a bull. But we have to remember there are a lot of people that cow hunt and and maybe even late season cow hunt, or maybe they just want to spike, or or maybe there are some trophy hunters. That, so it, I mean, there's so many different value sets on the landscape. Number one, but let's just focus on those people that want to hunt September with a bow or muzzleloader, and you want to call, and you want to kill a bull. Let's just take that subset. Yeah. Well, you've got the herd dynamics and the age class uh, dynamics and the sex ratio of northern Idaho versus Oregon versus Unit 9 Arizona versus the Gila of New Mexico versus over-the-counter unit in, you know, White River National Forest of Colorado, all of those, the, the age structure is different. The sex ratio is different. The hunter pressure is different. The habitat is different. All of those things are absolutely going to throw a monkey wrench into how a person goes about tackling their unique subset of animals on the landscape. And if you only go into the woods with one philosophy, with one tiny tool bag from one group or one individual, you're going to be sorely disappointed if you show up and you need a completely different tool set. Mm-hmm. So, I, Great point. Granted, I, I want everybody listening to subscribe to Row Hunting Resources. Of course I do. I'm a business owner. I would love that. However, I will never tell you not to go and, and subscribe to Elk 101. I will absolutely tell you, go over and subscribe to the Elk Collective and learn learn from as many people as you can Yeah, and start stacking your toolbox as full as you can so that way no matter where you go, when you go, and what you run into, you have a set of tools that is built and designed for that task at hand. Totally agree. It's because it is going to change, and it's also going to change year to year. Yes. I'll give you an example. Uh, in, in my neck of the woods, up here in Idaho, uh, in northern Idaho specifically, we have varying degrees of wolf pressure. In, in, like you could be <laughs> at 10 yep. miles, uh, a 10-mile trek in your pickup truck could completely change the elk landscape, their behaviors, their vocalizing, uh, you know, willingness, I, I, I should say. Um, you know, all of that can change just by going 10 miles away from where maybe a wolf pack hasn't been in for several months. And so what do you say to like, um, I guess I didn't really finish my thought there that I totally agree. Everybody should be subscribed to the row hunting resources website. They should be on the elk collective. They should be with elk one one and get the elk nut app and get there. There's so many, there's, there's this new one that I've been looking at too. Uh, elk bros, uh, I think they're out of New Mexico. In fact, uh, I'm going to get them on the show too. And and nice. I, I just think that all of that, like you said, there's so much sea out there for everybody to sail. Uh, take take a little bit of you know what you can from everybody. It's going to make you a better hunter, no matter what. Don't well, ever be closed off to one one kind of way. You know. Correct. I mean, how many? I mean, again, you're okay. You're a businessman. You you've got your podcast. I, absolutely. You want more and more, more and more people no, listening. Wait a minute. I thought businesses made money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're a nonprofit. Don't um, tell my wife that I'm a businessman. I mean, geez, man. 
where's the money going? This seems honey? like a black hole. <laughs> yeah, where's the money going, honey? Yeah. Uh, so, so you are a charitable donor. You're a charitable organization <laughs> at the moment. I like um, that. So the the thing is, is I mean, seriously, we all. I mean, I, I am a free market capitalist, conservative, constitutional conservative. Absolutely, I love our system. But guess mm-hmm. what? You know what? I don't shop at only one store. I don't watch only one channel on the television. I don't listen to one station on the radio. I don't listen to just one podcast because there's diversity and variety out there. So just glean from it. So there's no reason. Now, when we're talking about subscription-based services, okay, now I understand that. that, That's where you're, you're talking about shelling out money to learn something. Correct. There's some people that want to put all their stuff out there for free and then they make their money on the back end through advertising. And that's why you see all these, you know, giveaways and running specials and blah, 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 and promo codes about, okay, whatever. I don't give a crap how they run their model. Mm-hmm. It all depends on how you, the consumer, value information and what I would argue your flexibility on the landscape. Yeah. The, again, the more tools you have in your toolbox, the better you are, the better off you are. There's not a single mechanic on the planet that is getting new tool. Well, I can't say that. Never mind. Most of the most <laughs> if you're working on you're, if you're a mechanic or if you're a carpenter or whatever and you're building something, you're fixing something, you're working on something. Guess what? You're going to have to buy tools. If you are in the business and you take your your hobby or profession seriously, you look at your tools and your tool sets as investments in your craft. People need to understand that the investment in what you put into your brain is as important, if not 10 times more important then the brand spanking new bow you bought for 1500 bucks, the brand new set of arrows you bought for 150 bucks, the brand new, what all the gizmos and gadgets and the clothes and the optics and everything, all the new stuff you buy, the trappings of being, keeping up with the Joneses, none of that stuff actively puts an animal in front of you. Exactly. All that stuff, all that stuff helps you once an animal is in front of you. How about you take a moment and spend some time on learning the different ways and if in different ways to be efficient in putting more animals in front of you. Man, you just articulated that in a way that I've never been able to. That that's something that I've been trying to kind of stress to people is there there there's so many people out there that focus so much and 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 their 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 goal is to to have the best bow or the best pack and and all these new gadgets and and, and these things that we all want them right. I mean, I, I I'd love to go. I had the initial ascent guys on for for their packs, and these are sweet custom handmade packs they they do here in Idaho. I'd love to have one. I I, I just don't think that we we need to focus on all that all the time though. Uh, which by the way, I am going to get one. Uh, just don't tell my wife. Anyway. Getting back to that, <laughs> a lot of people, they focus on all this stuff that they think is going to make them a better hunter, where the reality is what's going to make you the best hunter, especially when we're talking September archery hunting. 
you, is, is what's between your ears and, and what you're soaking up the rest of the year, what you're, what you're learning. And I am such a testament to that. Uh, and I'll tell you that th- since I've been just diving in to these resources out there, my success level has gone, has skyrocketed. I, I shot a bull last year with a PSE Stinger uh, 3, I think. This thing I bought a brand nice. new, uh, it was like 2012 when I bought this thing and I'm still killing stuff with it. I, I just, Correct. you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm good with it. And, and actually I would have bought a new bow uh, this year, but I just put new strings on that thing last lap, right before last season. And I'm like, you know what? Those strings are too new. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to stick with this thing for another year, <laughs> but I'm sentimental too. It's got a lot of sentimental value. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at back what, I mean, I started out, I've always shot PSE. Mm-hmm. I started out with a, a, a PSE USA Spirit. Oh, I um, remember those, man. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I slayed elk and deer with those things. And now <laughs> we're looking at, you know, I'm, looking, I'm sitting in my studio. I'm looking at the, the new, I've got a brand spanking new PSE sitting on the wall that has not even, the string that separates, the, the little piece of thread that stra- separates the string so I can put a peep site isn't even been removed. I haven't touched the dang. Thing. Yeah. But I, again, dude, I'm serious. I, we probably ought to dive into some content, but oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the point, the point, the point being is I, for what row hunting resources does, we've, we've been, we've, I've been singing the same damn tune, excuse me, but the dang tune for since 2010, 2011. But I bring to the table a philosophy of foundational communication, foundational vocalizations, foundational level behavior to where if a person is hunting, say, early archery in Utah that starts on August 15th, or if a person is going to be hunting the, you know, fall equinox in the middle of September, or if a person is going to be hunting first rifle season in, you know, in Colorado or whatever, in first part of October, if you want to communicate with elk and you want to understand where their base level is, that's, that is where I come in. That's where my philosophy comes. I will talk about bugling. I will talk about bull vocalizations, but my focus is not, uh, and maybe you and I have talked about this before. I, I give this example all the time, and I think it's very, very relevant. I talk about the example of the Valley of the Ten Bulls. I've got a, uh, if you, if folks want to go to YouTube, they can look up the Row Hunting Resources YouTube channel, and you can, you can watch a video that dives into this in great detail. Um, it's called mastering. Yeah. Mastering your elk calling. Does it really matter? Yeah. Does it really matter? Mastering your elk calling or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in there, I talk about the Valley of the 10 bulls. And what I, what I talk about in there is there are some people, you know, Corey, Dirk, Jason, Joel, they love a bugling scenario. They love to have a bugling interaction with a bull. 
Mm-hmm. However, they will. I, I've, I mean, especially Corey. I've, I've heard Corey say this repeatedly. He will move across the landscape until he finds that bull that wants to essentially scream in his face, that, that wants to, to bugle at him, that wants to play his game. He likes to bugle. He likes to, to bugle at them. He wants to find a bull that wants to bugle back at him. Yeah. He will go across that valley of 10 bulls, and he will find the one bull that wants to play his game. But the reality on the landscape for many of us, no matter where we are hunting, is we very well may be in that valley and there are nine other bulls in that valley. But those other nine bulls do not want to play that game. They, they, they're not interested in bugling and they're not interested in bugling at you and they're not interested in conflict or the potential for conflict. They're not interested in any of that. And so... My philosophy and what I bring to the table is I, when I show up to the proverbial Valley of the 10 bulls, I want to be able to walk into that Valley and work every single one of those bulls, all 10 of those bulls. However, those elk want to play, Mm -hmm. I will play their game and I will make it personal for them and I will work them however they need to be worked with whatever issues they're dealing with. So I have the choice of 10 different elk across that landscape. Because when I first started hunting, I was a student. I was working three different jobs. My elk hunting was literally showing up. My buddy and I, and he lives in Idaho right now, Ryan Poole. If you're listening to this, brother, we need to catch up. Um, (laughs) We would leave class Friday, drive, get to camp, get, get to the trailhead at like 11 o'clock at night, hike into camp, get camp set up at midnight or one or two in the morning, wake up, hunt Saturday morning. Well, all day Saturday, but we'd hunt Saturday morning, Saturday evening. We might hunt Sunday morning because we had to be back to school and back to work Monday. So if we killed an animal on Sunday morning, we had to be able to get the whole dang thing out. So we literally had a day, if not a day and a half, each weekend to hunt. That's it. And we were on public ground, over-the-counter units with other people. So we didn't have a lot of time to dick around. We had to figure out a way to be more efficient in our calling. And we, now we would hunt together sometimes, but a lot of times, and I still to this day, I am a solo hunter. I go by myself. (laughs) So I'm I mainly am too. So we're, we're on the same page with that for sure. Yeah. So I'm doing the calling. I'm doing the shooting. I can't rely on somebody a hundred yards behind me calling an animal in to where I get a 40 yard shot. Okay. It, it, if you watch a lot of YouTube videos, you have multiple person scenarios. You'll watch where the caller's a hundred yards back, but the shot is taken at 40, 45, 50 yards. That mm-hmm. means yeah. That means that elk was responding and c- came into the caller at a distance of 140, 150 yards. When you're a solo hunter, that's a no-go. You've got to put them uh, – let's ju- – let, okay, let's just assume you're a whoop – you're an awesome archery shot and you've got the best of the best, you know, equipment. Let's just say 60 and under. For me, my philosophy is 20 and under. I My – my definition for a call-in is sub-20. 
Guys, I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about who makes this show possible. Scree, Extreme Mountain Gear. This is high-performance hunting attire and gear, scientifically tested camo patterns, and it's all backed by a great company that I wouldn't recommend to you if I didn't truly believe in it. The name Scree kind of has a, an origin out of the Scree rock. They changed the spelling on it, but that rock found at the bottom of rock faces and cliffs, particularly in high elevations, real rugged type kind of country. Uh, I've been using Scree for uh, all spring for, for barren turkey, and I'm really impressed with it. I had the founder on a few episodes back, and he said something that really struck me. He wanted to produce high-performance hunting gear, but at a responsible price. It's a real interesting term, and it's true. Everybody knows you can drop a small fortune on name-brand hunting attire, but with Scree, you get the name-brand, you get high-performance hunting gear, a lifetime warranty, VIP sizing guarantee, which it doesn't cost you anything to exchange the gear if it comes in the wrong size, and very effective concealment patterns, all without breaking the bank. I really like the bundle options, especially the Elite Starter Bundle. It's like a really good deal, perfect for September and October hunts all over the American West. Uh, you should check it out. It's a great way to get started in the gear and, and begin with your layering systems. Uh, Scree offers a complete layering system for all terrains and all conditions. And it's it's just a great deal, especially, again, that, that Elite Starter Bundle. Oh, and if you use the promo code The Western Huntsman at checkout, you'll get 15% off and free shipping. That's a big deal. Great gear, great company. It's a great story. It's a whole package. Check it out. The link is in the show notes, guys. Phelps Game Calls. One thing I love about the companies born out of hunting is their story. The American success story that walks us through how something started small and grew into something spectacular. Phelps Game Calls is quintessential to this. Jason Phelps started making calls as a hobby in 2009, wanting to make a more realistic sounding, right? Now, 11 years later, Phelps is one of the premier hunting call companies on the planet and for good reason. It's a great story, and Phelps is just filled, it's one of those companies that is just filled with excellent, first-class, salt-of-the-earth kind of people. I've been calling elk with, uh, with Phelps for a long time, uh, and long enough to know that it's an effective, realistic, it's a durable, and easy-to-use call. I gave my teenager a Phelps read last summer to learn on uh, before September, you know, and like a month later, she was bugling bulls in with me. It's the same exact read I use as an advanced caller, so they're great for beginners and advanced callers as well. So I'm a huge fan of the Phelps game, uh, elk calls, but I also use their predator calls. The fawn in distress call has been my go-to for bears this spring. I also called in a few turkeys with the black bat turkey read. They also have waterfowl calls, and they're coming out with some new deer calls. Hit up the website and check it out. The link's in the show notes, and if you find something you like, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Whether you're just getting started or have expert level calling skills, check them out. Phelps, get them close. But regardless. So, and when you say that, you, do you mean to get a shot opportunity, you want that bowl 20 yards or less? Is, is no, that what you're saying? No, I mean, I, I took a shot at a bowl uh, a couple years ago at 40. That was the longest shot I've ever taken on a bowl was 40 yards. But that was the shot he gave me, and then I, I literally buried the arrow. You can watch that, – that whole entire hunt is on YouTube, and there was a little stub of a stump sticking up in his vitals that I didn't see. And, I mean, I literally 12-ringed that elk, but there was a stump that was right in the middle of it, and bam. I mean, I just <laughs> – it was, it was brutal. But, no, the furthest – I will shoot an elk 
40 and under that's i we can talk about equipment setup and energy and time all that i for my preference i practice 60 and under all the time out in the field i like shots 40 and under but for me in my value set i don't and and this is i will i'll just i'll own it i'll own it it's a pride thing for me my personal pride definition for a quote unquote call in is putting that elk 20 and under. So if I shoot an elk, I, I literally, I've killed one elk at 33 yards. I've killed one elk at 22 yards and every other fit 17. I don't know. I don't. Every other elk I've killed is been under 20 yards. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty so, impressive. That is what, that's what I value. I want to be able to take that elk and put him, that's why my, you know this, the, the tag, call him to your toes. Mm-hmm. Call yeah. him to your toes. When, when you're on the website and you're watching the strategies and action section where we're talking about calling and, and using vocalizations and putting it in practice on the field and you watch me call elk in, my goal is, and I, I, I'm dead serious, it's, it's been close and I, someday it's going to happen. My goal is a fistful of hair. Mm-hmm. When they walk by me, I want a fistful of hair. And I'm working on a video right now from a couple years ago where if I had been thinking, I could have grabbed a fistful of hair. I, had, I literally had to move <laughs> the tripod because the bull, the satellite bull that was running around this herd bull trying to breathe his cow, the satellite bull ran by me so close, I literally grabbed the tripod and moved it because I thought he was going to kick the leg of the tripod. Jeez, man. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, I know. You, you, uh, you, you are famous for that call to your toes thing, like that bobcat you called in. We talked about that on the last episode, oh, yeah, yeah. but, and it says it on the homepage, call them to your toes. So I want to, let's, let's start with, let's start with, uh, something you just mentioned a few minutes ago, which by the way, this is not like a, a rated PG kind of podcast. I, I heard you correct yourself. If you want to <laughs> say, damn, go ahead. We're not exactly rated R, but we're not exactly rated G either. So I know. Uh, I, I, I spent eight years in the military. So my, my vocabulary is rich. Yes. However, yes. <laughs> I understand that your audience might have some different proclivities. So I, I try to keep myself reined in. I, I try to too, but I, I've slipped a few times and said some pretty foul language on this thing. And, and so I, I kind of try to watch it, but uh, it's not that big of a deal either. Um, right. So going back to what you kept talking about early season, mid season, late season, can you walk us through what your perspective is on that uh, behaviorally? Like, what do you consider early season? Now I know in Utah, they can start, and I've done it before uh, in Utah, where where you can start going after elk with a bow at like August fifteenth, which is insane. Uh, but but people get it done that early there, and they yes. call them in, you know. And yes. so it's something to think about. What does yes. what does that season breakdown for what we're calling September archery season look like to you? Okay, so first and foremost, throw out your any any mental image of a calendar. Okay. I, I don't, I don't care what the, the calendar date is, what I break down early, middle and late as, as largely meaning early season encompasses that period of time when the bulls are breaking up out of their bachelor groups, they're making their way to those cow calf groups and they are more interested 
in pecking order and dominant status between bulls. Are they interested in cows? Absolutely. But this is a that early part of the season can be a where those bulls oftentimes are preoccupied by what you know you could say quote unquote pre-rut activity establishing dominance hierarchies pecking orders figuring out who's who on the landscape figuring out where the cows are on the landscape going out and displaying and showing off and bugling and spending time around those cows and hoping to attract the attention of a a group of cows that want to bond and want to stay with that bull. So when, when that starts, when that starts happening and they're in their bachelor groups and they're starting to kind of break apart and they're kind of starting to look at each other like, you know, in another few weeks, I'm going to, I'm going to be whooping your ass like a one-legged IHOP waitress. And, and they're, they're starting to kind of move into these, these more, uh, Stop it. Where did that analogy? Where I, I, I have I have a <laughs> where did that one come from? I don't you know, man. Fix- leg, and then it got really specific after that. <laughs> <laughs> man, I tell you what, I, I like you said, you spent eight years in the military. I spent five years in the Marines. I have things, this shit just pops into my mind and it comes out. I I don't I don't know where it does. Most of them don't even make sense, and my my I make my wife laugh like crazy because I'll say some crazy ones. You had, you had me one legged, and then it just it just dove <laughs> off into the weeds where I wasn't expected. All right, keep going. <laughs> the trick is you got to say it super serious, you know. And with but, confidence, and you did that. You pulled it off excellently. Well, I appreciate that. I'm I'm here all week. So <laughs> all right, yeah. <laughs> Now I lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, that's right. And so, okay, they're they're in their bachelor groups. They're gonna whoop up on each other in a few weeks, and I, I don't know if they're thinking about it, but uh, they're they're starting to break up and go their go their separate ways. And some people call it staging areas. Some people, you know, they, there's different terms for that. The time of year that that is, does that change from say Unit Nine Arizona versus the 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 north? western corner of washington uh in comparison to maybe the grand tetons of wyoming what what is and what makes that change what why does it change do you know that that's that is actually i mean i don't mind diving into it but that's an absolutely huge uh discussion and and i talk about that on um on the website on that you know, rethinking the rut series there's eight part series on what actually is going on and, and and why and, and what factors influence this? So, so absolutely. So, number one, your herd dynamics in whatever area. Now, goodness gracious. So, most Western states. We don't need to go in that. Never mind. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna. I was about take to it go, any way you want. Uh, no, I was gonna dive into a. Uh, I was gonna dive down a rabbit hole that probably don't need to right here. So anyway, your, your, your sex ratio of your herd. So the number of bulls in that population versus the number of cows absolutely can influence this. Your age class of your bulls absolutely can influence this. The weather. Okay. So on that, on that, before we go on to the weather part, when you say the bull to cow ratio can affect that, 
does it if, if there's a higher bull to cow ratio, does that mean the bachelor group split up sooner rather than later, or vice versa? Uh, may, well, maybe it, they they can yes, um, because you can have some you can have some lone bulls out on the landscape, or you'll have those just you know you you can, when you have a diverse age structure, <clears throat> you'll have some very mature bulls, and you'll have a lot of young bulls. Young bulls, especially if we're talking year and a half, two and a half year old, and maybe even three and a half year old bulls, people need to realize that those, those, they are nothing more than preteen and teenager bulls. And so anybody has kids knows that maybe when you're in your preteens, there's not a lot of testosterone and vibrato going on, but as soon as you start getting your teen years, then all of a sudden there's a lot of cockiness and a lot of arrogance and a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of false confidence. So, you know, yeah. I'm, when it, when it comes to, to bulls, you got a two and a half year old bull or maybe even a three and a half year old bull, depending on where you are, they're going to venture out on their own. They're going to be walking across the landscape. I'm, I'm a big boy. I've got my big boy pants on now. And then as soon as something scares them, something threatens them, or some other mature animal comes in and absolutely whoops their butt, they, their, their natural proclivity is to run back to the cow-calf group. They, they like to be, they might not be in it, but they like to be in and around that social safety net, that safety blanket, that, that security blanket, if you will, of those cow-calf groups. So if you have a young, if you have very few bulls, let's say you have 10 bulls per 100 cows, and, and it, for a lot of over-the-counter units in, in Western states, that, that's not unheard of, 10 to 15 bulls per 100 cows, and very liberal on the hunting tags because they, they, the state manages it for opportunity, not for quality. Mm-hmm. So you, by default, oftentimes end up with a younger age class of bull. And so what you end up having is you have a lot of younger bulls that stay fairly close to those cow calf groups throughout the year. But the cows and calves, skip the calves for a minute. The mature cows, those are not the bulls that the cows are wanting to breed with. Now they will settle for and breed with those if they need to. But if you all of a sudden threw an eight year old mature bull on the landscape, well, sorry, Junior, you're packing sand because there's a new man. Out. Hello. And, and that's all of a sudden where in some of these units where you have that low bull to cow ratio, and then for some freak reason, a six-year-old bull shows up on the landscape or survives on the landscape, that's where all of a sudden you do have that harem of 50 cows. You got yeah. one herd bull and 50, you know, 30 to 50 cows and a whole pile of young satellite bulls because those cows are like that is who i want to breed with okay i saw that exact scenario last year for the first time ever in north idaho you don't see elk herds like that in north idaho and and there was on private land as i'm driving to my uh this this area i'm hunting that day uh 10th of september or so 30 to 40 cows and this monster of a bull that's just surrounded by private land. I can't get on it. No way. And he's just bugling up a storm. Sun's coming up. It was such an amazing moment. I just had to throw that out there because you just don't yeah. see that normally in, in North Correct. Idaho, you know. Correct. And, and, and quite a lot. I mean, literally uh, in a lot of places you don't see that. 
And so in a lot of places, what you end up seeing is a lot of even age class animals. So they're all two and a half or all three and a half year old bulls. And when you really look at the inter, when you look at the interplay between bulls on bulls, interspecific, interspecific competition between bulls, people got to remember, yeah, antler configuration is one thing, but it really all comes down to two things. One, body size. How much body mass do you have? And number two, what is your confidence level? What is your aggression level, if you will? Everybody's different. There's some bulls that are lovers. There's some bulls that are fighters. They're just, they're just, just no different than kids, no different than dogs. Any, any animal that lives in a social structure, there are different quote unquote personalities. Yeah, but sure. The number one is body size. So you could have an aggressive bull that's a two and a half year old bull, but you put a six year old bull in the mix that, that weighs 300 pounds or 500 pounds more than he does. You're out of luck, buddy. So when you're dealing with a population of animals that are all even age structure, what you end up being having is you have a, a, a population that's all of similar size. And what you can by default end up having is bulls that are spent, that are all relatively equal as far as potential stature, all of equal worth, you know, what is it? The full, you know, movie, full metal jacket, jacket. Oh yeah. Don't get me here, started. That's one of my favorites, man. Oh yeah. Here <laughs> we are here. You are all equally worthless. Okay. Right. So when, when you've got a, uh, you've got six different two and a half year old bulls, or let's just do, let's do five different two and a half year old bulls and 50 cows. Those cows are going to be, they're going to look at those bulls and be like, shit. Well, I guess this is what we got. All right. And, and they just settle. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what you end up having in, in quite honestly, it's not 50 cows. It's, pr- it's probably more like you've got 10 bulls and 50 cows. And so you got one bull with five cows, one bull with four cows, one bull with six cows, one bull with one cow, one bull. And all of a sudden you just, you see them fragment across the landscape. They all do their own thing. The cows are not really excited about those bulls. The bulls have already been in around those cows to begin with for a while. And, and again, they're not, they're not the sexually preferred animals. So there's really nothing to, to stimulate those cows to cycle into estrus any early and any earlier than maybe what photo period would dictate. However, you go into a unit that has a diverse age structure where you do have a propensity to have some mature bulls on the landscape. Well, those mature bulls, especially if you have, let's, let's just, I, I talk about that. I have an entire video discussion. Oh, I did the podcast about antler development. And if you look at some of these units where you have a high bull to cow ratio, so let's say you have 50 bulls per 100 cows. Okay. There's, there's not a cow in that system. That's not going to get bred. There's bulls everywhere. And typically when you have that high of a bull to cow ratio, you are going to have a high level of mature animals in that group or in that population, which means you have a high percentage of of animals that know how to breed, know how to breed effectively. They are effective on their first breeding uh, attempt. And so the cows get pregnant on the first go. Let's just go through this. Okay. They get, they go, they get pregnant on their first cycle. 
which mean, and, and there's a lot of them, which means your breeding pulse is short, which means the active breeding ends sooner in September and early October than in other places. Mature bulls know when a cow is going to breed and when she's not. And mature bulls oftentimes will, I mean, you can watch this. I've got video on a mine. You can watch a bull breed. He will breed a cow and before his front feet hit the ground after mounting her, he's already done with her. His brain is somewhat, he's like done moving on and she no longer exists. And so when the breeding is done, a lot of times those mature bulls will flat leave the group. I have video of in Rocky Mountain National Park. Okay, this is a national park where nothing is disturbing these elk any which way at nothing. I literally have video of, of mature bulls going back to bachelor groups and moving up into their winter ranges at the end of September. Nope. They're already done. Meanwhile, a lot of the younger age class bulls that have been kept out of the, of the breeding frenzy now are allowed to come and flirt around the edges of the cows. They don't know any better. It's their time to shine. Maybe you have a late cow or a calf that, you know, a yearling that, that comes in to, to see whatever. Now they're down there screaming, bugling, showing off, doing all that. There's no breeding going on. It's huh. done. It's over. But meanwhile, the bull, the mature bulls leave. When they leave, photo period dictates testosterone cycling. However, the longer there is sexual stimulation in the herd, the longer the testosterone stays elevated. Photo so, period, photo period, real quick. When you say photo period, you're talking about like the daylight the, the yeah. equinox kind of, I just want to clarify that. And that's how many, how many days of daylight versus how many, how many, how many hours of daylight versus how many hours of dark. And that's, that's what triggers the, the estrous cycle in a cow. Uh, and I, I just wanted to clarify that from a biologist because I've had, I've had people arguing with me about that. Okay. Carry on. All right. Well, let's, okay. Real quick then let's care. Let, let's, let's qualify that. Because, yes, it is the primary driver. However, there are other factors that will influence when a cow cycle. That's why I have that whole series, Rethinking the Rut. There are numerous factors that can actually encourage a cow to cycle early, earlier than what maybe she normally would just strictly based off of photo period. And there's only one factor that really is going to push her late. So you'll hear people talk about all the time about a late, quote unquote, late rut. Oh, it was a late rut. They weren't bugling. It was a late rut. Well, the only thing that, that will cause a cow to cycle late or miss an exercise is her body condition. So if she doesn't have about 9% body fat, she, she's going to either cycle late or she's not going to cycle at all. That's the only thing that's going to push a late rut. You can have environmental factors or whatever that that might suppress bugling. You might have environmental factors that suppress, you know, just daytime observed activity. But the breeding is still happening when the breeding is happening. However, there's about four or five different factors that can actually cause that cow to cycle early. One of them is related to what we're just talking about with the bulls. So with these mature bulls. So if a mature bull 
is done breeding and the breeding pulse is very, very short and quick and early. He's done. He leaves. Now, photo period drives his testosterone cycling and his sexual stimulation is cut short. So there's no artificial inflation of his testosterone, which means his testosterone drops faster than a bull that has had prolonged sexual activity. Okay. Okay. His testosterone drops sooner, which means as he rounds the corner of winter, he's going to drop his antlers earlier. When he drops his antlers earlier, it allows him to, st- if the, if the conditions are good, he can start growing earlier and he can start growing very vigorously in all the great, great growing conditions, which allows him, it helps, it assists him throwing the biggest, best set of antlers that he can, which when we come back to summer, that is just an indicator of a potential indicator of status. It absolutely will translate as a potential indicator for status of other bulls, but the cows are going to see that when he, if there's a fixed, there's relatively a roughly fixed amount of time that a bull can grow a set of antlers. Younger bulls grow shorter. Larger bulls have a longer period in which they can grow their antlers. But if they, more mature bulls, I mean, but if they start early, that means they finish early. Well, if they finish early and they rub their antlers early and they go hard horned, say at the end of July, beginning of August, which absolutely I've got footage that shows that absolutely happening where they're actually hard horned, cleaned, rubbed off at the end of July. You can see where those bulls will make their way, start making their way to the cow calf groups. Again, now we translate transition over to the, the estrus cycling of the cows and what the cows are looking for. Ladies that are listening to this, you know darn well what guy, what type of man is going to attract you. Do you want some teenager that doesn't know what the hell he's doing, or do you want Chris Hemsworth to show up and take charge of this situation? Well, 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 who is Chris Hemsworth? Oh, some idiot. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, the, the I'm lady. out of it. I'm out of it, but yeah, the, the ladies stuff. So, okay. The, the point being is when, when he shows up, holy hell, there's a player on the field and we kind of like him. Now you get bonding. Now you get, you, you, there all sorts of cascading effects can happen that absolutely can change when all of that pre-rut cycling is occurring. So some units that have a, high, a diverse age structure, high bull-to-cow ratio, depending on the habitat, depending on the environmental conditions, you absolutely can see maybe some of this pre-rut activity occurring prior to an area that is low bull to cow ratio, all even age of youngsters and heavily, those factors can absolutely change. That's why I said, disregard the human calendar off of this, this table. Gosh, that is just super interesting stuff, man. That's why I geek out on it. So it is 
some areas, the pre-rut activity is literally happening in early to middle of August and is completely done by the end of August versus there are other places where this pre-rut activity is actually occurring at the end of August into the beginning of September. Well, if one hunter is hunting in an area where it's happening in early August and middle of August, and another hunter is hunting in, the, in an area where it's happening beginning of September, I'm going to make the argument that you're probably going to experience two completely different behavioral interactions with those elk. So when you when we're talking on this subject and, and we're talking about, okay, actually, let's keep it so like an even playing field, right? Um, there, we're talking 15 bulls to 100 cows, public land. Uh, you know, pretty high pressure kind of areas. Um, if if we're looking at this from from that standpoint, being a level field, and and then you're looking at the other aspects of it that you were talking about. Let's say we have a northwestern coniferous type forest versus uh, high desert central Utah versus uh, the the real deserts of New Mexico and, and Arizona. What is is there a way? Do you have that dialed in? What like how? that uh, the, the pre-rut would be triggered in those different types of landscapes? Or is that something that you just can't really have a handle on? Well, I, you know what? I, I don't know. And, and because there's a lot of other factors. I mean, um, again, body, body fat of cows is really going to drive it. So, you know, some of the more arid areas, you know, like down in Arizona, you, you can have a stupidly dry year and everything kind of drags on and, and goes late because just the, the, the cow body cycling is a l- maybe a little bit delayed versus in some areas, you know, up North, your winters come earlier. So your activity can oftentimes maybe happen, you know, your rut sort of, you know, quote unquote might happen a little earlier in a couple places, but it, hmm. and quite honestly, like you said, there, this is not fixed just within a state you literally can see differences between different mountain ranges in the same unit. Yeah. It just depends on what the dynamics are of that herd in that area. I I can go to places around Aspen where it doesn't matter. It doesn't, I mean, you you can literally find the differences and, and different. There's a reason why when you sit online and you go through forums and that type of stuff and pages, you know, is it September yet or wherever, and you'll hear somebody say, man, I, it's just freaking dead. There's nothing going on. And then some somebody will chime in and respond and be like, dude, you're a freaking idiot. I don't know. You're, you, we're covered up in bulls, and they're screaming like crazy. And I, okay. Yeah, yeah. So and there's so many right. varying opinions there. Yeah, you're both right. It depends on where you are. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but to, to go back to the base fundamental question you had, so my, when you're, when I look on the strategy app, I talk about early, I talk about mid, I talk about late. That's what I'm looking at. The behavioral cycling in the, 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 the prime, the, the, the predominant behavioral. Yeah, I, I, there you go. The cycle. Yeah. yeah. At that time is are they busting up out of, are are they worried about in the early season are they dealing with dominance inter- issues with other bulls and are they in the process of trying to gather harems 
Hmm. And then the middle part of the season would be, okay, dominance has been largely established. Harem development is already underway, as is breeding. And then the late season, if you will, would be, okay, the bulk of the breeding is coming to an end. It, the, the bulk of the breeding is, is dying down. And we have cows that have been bred that are starting to group back up, making their starting to group back up, starting to think about making their way back to their winter ranges. Mm-hmm. That's how I separate early, mid, and late. So you don't and give like calling strategies for each of those. In my okay. Opinion. And, and those calling strategies can all be found on the row hunting resources website, by the way, guys. As, as, as we're talking through, I just kind of want to put that into perspective, but no, I'm just, you know, I, I'm super happy that you, you explain the equinox in, in terms of what, what that could do in, with, with triggering a cow into the estrus cycle, because uh, this, this one individual I'm thinking of really argues with me on that and thinks that there's what, no science behind it. What and, do they say? What, what, so what's the argument? What's, what is well, their one argument? Of the, one of the arguments is, is, okay, so if that's the case with elk, why isn't it the case with a whitetail and they rut in November versus elk rutting in, in December? And I can't, I mean, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a Chris Rowe type biologist. I can't answer that. I just, oh, I just that's, know. That's one word. What's that? That's just one word answer. Right, it's, no, yeah, sorry. basically it, it is. Let me, let me rephrase that. No, it's a two word answer. I can answer his question in two words. Okay. Gestation, period. Ah, yes, that's a great point. I, you know what? See, that's why I have guys like you. The, the hamster doesn't spin the wheel in my head very fast. So I, I really like gestation, period, makes a big difference. It's going to, and that, that's what kind of the discussion around uh, fawn and calf uh, survivability uh, is based on when they're born in the spring, right? Well, that's, that's why you have a, a, that that pulse. So you, you want all your calves or you want all your fawns born in a relatively short window of time. So that way everything hits the ground at once. It's, it overwhelms the predator, hopefully, overwhelms the predator population in the area to where, yes, you're going to lose some of those individual, you know, calves or fawns Fawn, to predators. Yeah. But because of the swamping effect, it takes about a week for those little guys to get you really get there. I mean, yes, they can get up and move, but it takes about a week to 10 days for them, them little guys to get, be able to get up and just haul butt. Mm-hmm. So if you can swamp that predators for that week to 10 days and let those youngsters get their legs under them, literally, then they have a much higher percentage chance of surviving. That is why, again, Anybody that talks about whitetails, you hear, you know, quality deer management associate, you know, quality deer management or anything else or bull manage, you know, elk management. The reason why it's nice to have a higher male to female ratio, whether bulls to cows or, or bucks to does is because you will, you will help the females to cycle more consistently, more quickly succinctly and you will effectively breed them on that first go very efficiently so that way the breeding pulse is very short very effective which then starts the stopwatch of 
say for, you know, 200 days for deer, whatever. It starts the stopwatch on, okay, we're going to have X number of days roughly between conception, pregnancy, and parturition, giving birth. Well, if they all get pregnant within the same week, most of them are all going to give birth around the same week. Mm -hmm. So that's why it pays to manage your areas with the highest buck to doe or the bull to cow ratio you can and have a good, rich diversity of age structure in there. So you have a good level of maturity in your male population. So that way you make sure that the next year's calves or fawns hit the ground in a very tight window. Gosh, that is, I could geek out on this stuff with you for the next two or three hours. That's, that's fantastic. I am, I am happy as a drunk on a bowl full of free peanuts, man, that you, because the way that you just put that, that's a, I am, I feel like I'm totally armed to go into the next argument, the the next debate, which I think this particular individual is coming over for, uh, we, we have these, uh, I, I always call them the, the campfire roundtable, but it's, it's just, uh, you know, really we're just cracking a few beers and horsing around. But we always debate this point. And now I'm just going to send them this. I'm going to send them a link to this podcast. I'm going to be like, hey, just listen to this, man. It's not me. It's Chris Rowe. Well, I mean, I mean, there's, <laughs> other, I mean there's other nuances. There's other things at play to that as well. But, I mean, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. So, okay. So we've talked about that and, and kind of what – what you basically evaluate the different seasons on and uh, can, can we just touch on maybe some, cause I know we're going a little long here, which uh, you know, I, I just want to be careful with that for, I know you're, you're like two hours ahead of me, but oh, dude, um, I'm up anyway. It, it's all okay. on how long your listeners want to sit and listen to us. Yeah. It's 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 all over the board. Sometimes they'll they'll listen to three hour podcasts. Other times they're they're done in an hour and a half. So I, it just depends, and that, that's okay. But the the question I I kind of want to I I don't want to divulge too much information because I know it's on row hunting resources, and that's that's a fair thing. Uh, but I I if we could just kind of brush on different calling and or hunting strategies and techniques as we go through the September archery season. And, and I'm not using that as a calendar, September 1 to September 30. I'm, I'm using it as the, the fall uh, rut season for, for archery elk hunt. Does that make sense? It, it does, but I'm, I don't want to disappoint you. Again, you're talking to someone whose fundamental philosophy goes to not playing testo- to testosterone, not playing to estrogen, but rather going to base fundamental core communication. So we can so go what is that. What does that mean though? What, what is core fundamental communication? How do you determine if you know a bull is in a certain drainage, how do you determine how you're going to communicate with that bull? I'm going to communicate to him exactly how his mother would have communicated to him when he was a calf. Okay. That's the thing that people forget. Everybody's so focused on the bull and everybody's so focused on the, you know, him bugling and, and being, you know, you know, screaming and blah, 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 blah. Okay. That's fine. Yes. Does he do that? Yes, he does. Okay. Yes. But the, the thing that really separates me from, I think pretty much everybody else is the fact that, okay, again, I'm looking at things from a 365 day a year 
scenario. I don't care what goes on in September per se. I want to see how what goes on in September matches up with what goes on in November, which goes on in January, which goes on in April or June or August. I want to, I want to compare what goes on through the year. A lot of people forget that that bull that they're going after, especially if you're in an area that has a 15 to 100 ratio, mm-hmm. especially if your area is largely composed of two-and-a-half-year-old bulls, three-and-a-half-year-old bulls. They were babies just a moment ago. They just left their mother's home range not too long ago. They were a calf not too long ago. They were with their mother for a full 12 months, if not 18 months. Why does that matter? Because that that cow communicated with that bull calf for that 12 to 18 months on a daily basis. She would tell him what to do. She would ask him for a response. He would vocalize to her trying to find where she is. She would respond to him and say, I'm over here. Come here. They would communicate on a daily basis. There is no testosterone cycling on a six-month-old calf. There is no testosterone cycling on a 12-month-old calf, really. And quite honestly, for the vast majority of the season, there is no estrogens really cycling per se. She's not coming into estrus for literally 51 weeks out of the 52. So it, all of that base fundamental core communication and behavior is universal. The bull darn well knows what the hell the cow is talking about. He just, it's no different than your parents teaching you how to speak and talk and understand language. It's not like when you were, you learned a word at three, four and five or whatever that you forget about it today. You, it becomes a part of you and you use it for the rest of your life. It's base communication, and it doesn't matter that we're talking about elk. We could talk about birds. We could, we could talk about turkeys. We could talk about whitetails. We could talk about chimpanzees. We, it doesn't matter. If you're talking about a species that is in a, a, a community structure, if you will, that, mm-hmm. that, that have behavioral interactions with one another, they live in a sort of, some sort of community. There is going to be communication within the individuals within that group. It, it's required. Now, granted, I talk about all the time about the CU first. There, elk and other animals are very visual species. A lot of the communication is visual. But when it breaks down into vocalizations, those vocalizations that the cow was using to communicate with her bull calf last year are the same damn bull vo- same damn vocalizations that the cow is going to use to communicate with her quote unquote teenage bull calf now <coughs> so why all of a sudden do we expect when the bull turns two and a half or three and a half or ten and a half that that 
communication, that base core fundamental communication no longer is relevant. So, okay. I want to talk about, you said something there that um, I remember pretty well. And, and it was, and I might say this out of order here, but it wasn't, it was something along the lines of smell you first, hear you second, see you third. Is that, did I get that in the right order? You got it in absolutely the 180 degree opposite order. You want to <laughs> see you first. If you, now, if we're talking whitetails, yeah, you, you nailed it. If you, yeah, if okay. I'm going to just fess up. I wasn't as good of a college student. As you were, like, like you, 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 you said it, you had to be back in class Monday morning, hell during hunting season. I'd have skipped that class. And yeah, so, well, so yeah. that's where the difference is. So, so let's that's talk cool. about that little process and, and just that behavioral nuance with, with elk specifically. Well, I mean, it, it's a, it's a long discussion, but the, 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 the general broad strokes are, yeah. I mean, it's just like cattle. It's just like horses. It's just like bison. It's just, I mean, any animal that lives in a herd of the vast majority of, of communication between animals throughout the day is, is visual. It's, it's body language, head position, ear position, how one approaches the other one kicks out it. You know, you, you can watch it. I mean, if I always give the analogy, if you're out in cattle country or if you're out in horse country and you're driving down the road and you see a herd of cows out there, a cattle out there, you know, you pull off the side of the road and you, you park and you listen well, are they, are they out there bellering their heads off? No, no. no. If you go out to a horse farm, uh, you, you, you got 50 horses out in a pasture grazing. Are, are they screaming their heads off? So no. let me ask, let me ask you this with that, because I used to hunt horseback and, and there was, there was usually three of us that would go, go out. We all had, uh, you know, our own quarter horse. We'd take, take them out. And, uh, if, if, if the horses were kind of split up, that's when they'd start talking. If they couldn't see each other, is that the concept you're, you're getting at? Yeah, it's at, it's literally at 100%. That's exactly it. I talk about that all the time. And the fact that the only time the elk are going to say or vocalize are going to be when they cannot keep visual contact with one another and they are doing something. So there's a, there's a, I mean, that's the thing too, is people don't, people think of calling as just this, I'm going to make sounds and that, that because the, the bull is ramped up on testosterone and he wants to breed, he's going to, he's going to be attracted to that sound. No, no. If if you're going out there and you're blowing on a, a, a mouth diaphragm or an open read style call or a bugle or whatever, and you're using, you're illicit, you're, you are emulating or imitating an elk vocalization. You're putting a word and quite honestly, oftentimes a phrase or idea, let's just say an idea, mm-hmm. you're putting a phrase, a word, phrase, or idea on the landscape that means a specific thing. You are, you're trying, you're pretending to communicate with them. So I, I, I talk about this all the time. And, and this is, again, it's in that video on YouTube and, and people will see it on my site and, and the Elk Collective here coming up. <clears throat> Are you are you contributing to the Elk Collective? I've got a bunch of videos. I'm I'm trying to bundle a bunch, and I'm going to send them over to them here shortly. Uh, hopefully, get them up there. I'm, my my goal is to be get it to those guys here August first. 
Sweet, man. I, I'm glad to hear that. So yeah. uh, let, let me just, before we move on, what is your YouTube channel called? Is it just Rohan and Re- Resources? Yeah, yeah. Every, okay. Everything, if anybody wants to find me, just Ro, and Ro is spelled R-O-E. Don't throw yep. any W in there. Just Ro Hunting <laughs> Resources. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one of those high, high country Ro People. I'm, I'm just <laughs> like Row hunting resources. So, yeah. guys, I, I, I'm I'm bringing that up because I'm going to put this all in the show notes where you can find rowhuntingresources.com and the YouTube channel, uh, the app, all that all that kind of stuff, just to make it easy for you guys to to go ahead and, and download. So, okay, Chris, I want to I want to throw like some real random type questions that I think only you can answer. Um, <laughs> And, and, and we don't have to spend too much time on any one topic, but I, I just, the goal is I, I'm, we're trying to cover a lot of ground here. Um, talking about going back to something you'd said uh, a while back here, uh, when, when you're talking, and, and this might be a dumb question or a real basic elementary question, but it's something that for some reason has never really been answered to me in a, in a real complete way. What exactly is and this might not even help people for hunting, but what exactly is it in a bull that a cow is looking for? What is it? Personality? Is it size? Is it a combination? Is it like that? that for some reason, that's always evaded me. I, 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 because I've seen some smaller bulls be the herd bull and a bigger bull acting like a satellite in the past and, and then vice versa. You know what I mean? And so that's just something I've always, I've always pondered. Maybe that's just a personal curiosity I have and people aren't interested, but, but can you kind of speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Have you ever asked your wife what she was looking for in a, in a guy? When, hell, when he- no. hell no, man. I know exactly <laughs> what my wife, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I ask, I ask, ask her that all the time. I'm like, what do you even see in me? <laughs> and she's probably shrugged herself and she goes, I have no idea. Depends on her mood. Sometimes she really likes to boost my ego and talk about, you know, how manly I am, you know, the, the muscles I used to have in my 20s, all this kind of stuff. Uh, uh, okay, but, all right, okay, so now, okay, hold on a minute. Now we're, get, we're getting somewhere now. Okay, all okay. Right. So the, the, biological, the biological answer to that is she is evaluating a bull based on what he portrays as his potential fitness. What do I mean by that? And, I, and this, is, this, was a, uh, this is one of the videos for the Elk Collector. What do I mean by fitness? I, I would say when you say that, like survivability. Ah, okay, now that, that's, a, that's a portion of it. Yes, you, so you got a portion of it. So, you know, Dan Staten is going to talk about fitness on his, his side, um, muscles and everything else. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about populations, we're talking about the ability for a mate. So you have a, 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 a male and a female copulate, have mm-hmm. sex, create a offspring. Fitness is about that offspring surviving and reproducing itself so genetically you want if you're a female and i don't care if we're talking humans or we're talking about elk or we're talking about prairie dogs as a female 
you prairie dogs maybe not so much as a female <laughs> you are looking at your potential mate and you're evaluating what you perceive their ability to contribute to your offspring and contribute healthy sperm and your genetic material what all i i can't tell what your sperm has but what i can do is i can look at you what does your body size look like how healthy do you look what is your antlers how do your antlers look and more important and i think from a human psychology standpoint this has been shown the the in my opinion the razor sharp answer to your question confidence so that does explains that, that can explain a lot yeah. of things like yeah, you know i've i've always wondered you, you see this a lot where you have this dude that's uglier than a mud fence and on his arm and we're not talking about like the sugar daddy status yep. thing not not some rich old dude Correct. we're we're Correct. talking this dude that's uglier than a mud fence walking around with this this girl on his arm that is drop dead gorgeous and people always ask the question like how did that dude pull that off right yes. and i'll bet people say that about me and my wife cuz she's a lot better looking than i am but they it's it's a concept that um i think is like a ponderance of of humanity for for years you know you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> and, and so that explains a lot. So there's, there's this kind of confident swagger that, that a bull elk can have. Is that why and sometimes it's not always the biggest bull? Correct. And, and it doesn't, it's not necessarily the biggest, baddest fighter. It, she's she's going to look at the entire package. Is this bull in control? Mm -hmm. Is he confident with who he is? He doesn't have to fight. If he can, if he can, if he can enter in, if he can step out on the stage and command the seemingly command the area that he's around and he knows how to confidently engage the females, they are going to gravitate to that bull faster than a bull that has no freaking clue what he's doing is running around like an idiot, screaming his head off challenging and chasing and chasing and pushing and chasing ah you can watch this will you could literally watch this manifest itself extremely well with younger age class bulls yeah, yeah. About those three and a half year old bulls because that's about the age where you start leaving childhood and start entering in the world of maturity and you will watch and, and I've got on the on the YouTube channel and on the on the website, I've got High Country Redemption. I it's a, one of my personal hunts from the high country. And I was going after a big five by five that was probably about a four-year-old bull. Um, didn't happen. I missed him. And then I just boogered him out of the basin. Next day I go back there. Here's the six by six with these cows. And I'm watching him. I'm like, well, hell, he's good enough. But I could tell he was about a three-and-a-half-year-old. He looked like a three-and-a-half-year-old bull. And I talk about the fact that you just watch him. Watch what the bull is doing. Here he is. He's in this basin with these cows. He's got about 50, I don't know how many cows, probably at least 10. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's the only bull there. They are a captive audience. He does not need to do anything. But yet he feels the need to go and – 
and hook him with his antlers and try to push him this way and hurt him this way and, and run him around this way and just kind of go after he's he's a youngster that does not know what the hell he's doing and all he's doing is being annoying think back okay think back to your high school days yeah it's just gonna say like a like a senior at prom man there you go uh, you know something think along about, those lines think okay about, okay think about the guys i can think i i know in my mind this is funny this is going to be hilarious. I'll name names. Gary Gerst. I have no idea if he's listening to this. Gary Gerst was a guy, one of my classmates, very good looking guy, uh, very well built. He was a hockey player and very soft spoken. He had a very mild manner about himself, uh, good sense of humor, but he was just, he stayed in his lane. He engaged everyone professionally and very just the, he he might as well have been in his 20s or 30s or 40s. He was very mature behaviorally wise than the other rot, you just raucous, rowdy, you know, the you know, mm-hmm. headbangers or the the jocks or whatever. Goodness gracious, he could he could walk through the high school halls and pick any girl he wanted to. That's hey, you want to you want to go out to dinner? Yes, I do. I mean, Gary, he was the guy. He was just the man. I mean, even other guys, I remember looking at him and like, dude, this guy's got it. You know what I mean? I mean, he's just just that. But he's a teenager and he's got it. Versus you've got some mid-20s and late-20s and early-30s guys that are just like, you, dude, you're a train wreck. What I mean, think about the ladies going to the bar, you know, and and the – just the idiots to go and, and hit on him and pick up on him and just the stupid lines of behavior and all of the fights and the, the gyrations that just give me a freaking break. Mm-hmm. But the guy that walks in that can command the space around him doesn't have to engage hostily, negatively. He could just he can just show up, be professional, knows how to talk to a lady, knows how to talk, and just he can he can keep the other guys at arm length. With, with no effort at all, but yet he can turn right around and just embrace that woman or that lady and say, let's have a conversation, a real conversation. All of a sudden, that that is a completely different male on the landscape. That's yeah. how that's, yeah. what, that's what cows are looking for in their bulls. It's so, all about confidence and the perceived status of that bull and the fitness of that bull that they're evaluating. That's Fantastic. why cows are the ones that pull that, that again, this is why I talk about all the time. Cows are the ones that choose the bull, not the other way around. Yeah. I think a lot of people get it in their mind that it's, it's the bull that's uh, the biggest and baddest and, and beating all the other bulls up that, that the, the cows are just, they don't have much choice that that's the bull. That's my herd bull. Uh, I, he has assigned me to him kind of thing. And, and I agree, you know, obviously, uh, w- w- with what you're talking about. And the whole concept reminds me of when uh, my senior prom, all us guys go in together and rent this limousine for to take our dates out, right? And yeah. the limo driver shows up. The dude's probably mid-20s. And you could tell that he's just one of those real Rico Suave kind of good-looking dudes. And he, he was a lot more mature and a lot more steady. And uh, the the our dates 
were swooning over this dude, the limo driver, man. Yes, and, and you're like, son of a bitch. Yeah, exactly. Like, he just could have walked off with any one of our dates, and, and like, they were just, you could just tell, they were just swooning over this guy and talking about him and whispering and all this stuff, and I'm like, man, I'm going home. I can't compete with this limo driver. This sucks. Exactly. 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 So, so to your point, now, to your, what you said a minute ago, in some populations, the older or more aggressive bull, okay, he does exhibit that he may have more fitness. And so by default, yes, a lot of other cows might say, you know what? You know what? He does seem like he's the best guy in, in, the, in the area. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to go with this guy. However, I, you know, in the website, I've got a, a, a chunk of uh, video. It's called the gallery. And it's just, it's just video of elk doing what elk are doing without any interaction or interference from humans. And so you get to watch their behavior as they, as they deal with one another. And one of the examples um, it, it, that just outlines this perfectly is um, there was, so real quick, there was a, a group of elk on this bench up on the Alpine. As daylight started showing up, so you got, you got a group of elk and you got three bulls. One was essentially the herd bull and then two really nice satellite bulls. But they were all roughly the same size. I mean, very similar. Mm-hmm. Starts getting daylight, the herd bull and the bulk of the cows decide we're going to drop down to the timber. And they drop down in the timber. Well, as any group of elk does, you're, you're going to have some cows that want to linger and they're like, ah, we're not ready to go down to the timber yet. We're just going to lay here in the alpine in the morning sun and chew our cud. Well, that was the kickoff that the, the two other satellite bulls saw that as their cue that, oh, awesome. The, I'm going to take these cows. And this other bull's like, well, I'm taking these cows. And they sat there for I don't know how freaking long. And just every display, every scream, I mean, they're out there putting on a show, going absolutely (laughs) ballistic. I mean, screaming bugles, chuckles, glunking, bluff charging, raking horn and stuff. I mean, just going nuts. And after all of that vibrato, the cows are like, yeah. Yeah, we're going to go back down the timber with that guy. And just picked up and just <laughs> left. I mean, after all of the work that those bulls were doing, they were like, nah. The limo driver was down on the sticks, man. Yeah, we're, we're like, <laughs> we're not feeling it. We're just going to go back with, uh, we're, we're going to go back down with Bob over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, now that, that's, I think that's the best uh, articulation of that, that concept I've ever, I've ever heard anybody explain. So I'm glad you did that. That's, that's uh, pretty fantastic. Um, Okay, uh, another hot topic, uh, and I ask everybody this. What, what is your theory in terms of moon phase as it relates to vocalizing elk and, and how they vocalize? Uh, just, it's very, again, weather is going to play the factor of that, but yes, can you get a lot more bugling at night? Yes, you can. Can you get some bugling during the middle of the day? Absolutely, you can. Moon phase just... And, and I'm, I'm still working on trying to do some investigation on serotonin and, and some of the other uh, hormone cycling and that type. But what I've been able to gather so far, no. And, and you've got apples and oranges type. Some people will talk about moon phase in the rut and in triggering estrus. No, that does not occur. 
I mean, that's been shown repeatedly. Yeah. Uh, yeah however, I agree. The, however, the question is, does the moon phase kick off, you know, or, or exacerbate, you know, bugling or activity? What I've always said, it to me, what it seems like is the moon phase will heighten whatever activity is whatever behavioral cycle they are in at the time. So if they are in a hyped up, so say the full moon coincides with the peak of estracycling. Oh, hell. It's just going nuts. It's going to be chaos, huh? It's going to be chaos. However, if the full moon coincides when, when those elk are locked down with the cows just in that limbo waiting for the first cow to come into estrus, and it's just crickets, sometimes I've seen the moon phase just absolutely put the nail in the coffin because they don't want to talk anyway, but now they're out all night long and they're in bed well before daylight and they're not coming out of bed until well after sunset you know, during the middle of the day, if the wind is good and you can get in close to their bedding area, if you know where it is, you mm-hmm. might be able to do all right. But it seems be, because of different hormones, um, yeah, serotonin level, all, all sorts of other stuff. To me, my opinion is it just exacer- it, it just heightens whatever behavior cycle they're in for good gotcha. or bad. Gotcha. Okay. I, I think that I think that people uh, sometimes make too big of a deal out of moon cycle. Uh, and it's, it's just kind of my opinion, but I, I think a lot of the argument is, you know, it's a full moon, the bulls are out bugling all night. So they're wore out by the time the sun comes up. So they're just not going to make a peep all day long. And so I think your explanation really sheds some light. In it. And, and actually this, this coming September, we've got uh, a pretty cooperative moon phase. Uh, for for what I from what I've seen, and that kind of leads into this this other question uh, that that maybe um, how do I ask it the right way though? I, th- let me think about it. <laughs> I don't know that answer. Yeah, well, the, uh, you gotta you gotta think harder, buddy. So, like uh, antler growth, and this is this is something that you know when people turn on the school of September series there there I know that a lot of the times they're looking for tips and strategies and how to call and how to bugle how to lip ball all these different things but I'm really interested in the biology of elk and I think that the more that you understand about the nature of the animal you're hunting the more successful you're going to be and so that's why I really like talking to you about this kind of stuff what yeah. what can you just briefly describe what makes antler growth more prolific some years and and profound some years over over other years is it moisture is it feed is it you know uh genes i I, i've i've just never had a lot of clarity on that well genetics are going to go into it but that but that doesn't that doesn't change year to year i mean the the genetics an animal has is the genetics an animal has Mm -hmm. no that the the for me, the number one issue on whether or not you're going to have a an good antler production year is how was the body condition of the antler or the antler? How, how was the body condition of the animal going through the winter? Did they have ample food and did, were they able to maintain a high level of body condition? And by that, I mean body fat through the bulk of the winter. If so, then they do not have as much of a nutritional deficit as an animal that was 
that had depleted all of their body fat in the spring. Uh, uh, antler development is similar. It, it's very similar how cows. So, so we were talking about earlier, cow's not going to cycle into estrus until she's got about a 9% body fat. It's, it's no different than human, you know, women. Um, you've got to have a certain level of body fat. Otherwise, your, the, the female body cannot withstand the rigors of developing a fetus. And so you have to have a minimum threshold of body fat. Well, for elk, for, for antlers, I mean, it's kind of similar. And if I remember back to my animal nutrition days, I thought elk were somewhere sitting around that 12 to 14%. I thought it was about 14%, but they need to be able to maintain about 14% protein in their diet. And they need to have at least a certain level of body fat and if they are if they are suppressive, if they have very little body fat or they've used up all their body fat in the winter and they're going into the spring and they are emaciated essentially, well, it's it's the old adage. You can't save the world if you can't pay the rent. You <laughs> you you can't grow antlers the way you maybe could. If you're still trying to repair muscle tone and build back body fat and you're trying to put back on your, the body, the physical body structure itself is going to take priority over any ornamental growth off the top of the head. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. Spring growth is important. Summer growth is important, but if you have a bull that has, let's say you had a wet year, a wet summer and a wet fall. You had all sorts of really good grass growth. And then you had a very mild winter. Temperatures were mild, very little snow to where the summer and the fall before produced a ton of forage. And now the weather during the winter was very light, so they didn't have a any physiological stress, and they had plenty of access to all that forage that they had that was growing the year before, and so they come out of winter and go into spring with fat on their body. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't have any hole to dig out of. As soon as they want to throw antler, it's all extra. So if you get any decent good spring green up. That's all extra. That's just going to antler. And if you stay in a good uh, situation where you've got good summer moisture all summer long, or at least enough summer moisture at the right time to just keep that quality forage going, those antlers are going to explode. It also depends on the forage that you have available. So, you know, down in Arizona, part of the reason why I believe Arizona and New Mexico, some of the areas of New Mexico, some of the areas of Southern Colorado, some of the areas possibly in Utah, why we're de- why we see such massive antler development, you know, 400 inch bulls. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because you have a component of forage on the landscape, warm season grasses like blue grandma and others that hold their nutritional value once they go dormant. So you can have a lot of good forage growth during the summer of this high protein food, that cures out, stays on the landscape, and it maintains a high level of protein. But then they go into the winter, and it's a fairly easy winter. 
which means they have access to all that high protein food all some all winter long and then even in the spring because it's a warm season grass it's not going to green up until summer but that still maintains quality and you have all the the other species that are coming on in the spring that they can tap into you have better forage on the landscape and you have less of a, a nutritional be- deficit that those animals have to dig themselves out of. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So that, that ties into, I, I guess, one of my theories was. So in, in my neck of the woods, and I don't know how much snow you get in Kansas, but where, where, where I live, it, we can have w- winters that we call, what we call them as snowcoplics, right? And so yep. there's yep. times at my house that I still have snow uh, going into Memorial Weekend. And it doesn't happen a lot, but I'm also in the snow belt, what we call the snow belt where I live. But anyway, point being, so scenario, the winter of 2018 going into 2019 was pretty intense. Lots of snow. Uh, I've got like the biggest snow blower you can get from Home Depot. And it was not enough. I had to call up my neighbor and have him drive his bobcat over to get me out. Uh, really bad snow, uh, did not melt in the higher country until, you know, early June. Um, and the animals kind of stayed lower, all this kind of stuff. And then we had a a fairly wet, mild, uh, summer and we didn't get a lot of snow this last winter. And then, so, so we had this real early spring green up. And so going into this season, should I expect a bigger class or larger antler class of bulls uh, as, as, as we're going rolling into September here. All things being equal, not knowing the age structure and everything else, but all things being equal, I would not be surprised if you see a better potential on antler quality than you did in years past. Okay. All right. So okay, that I, I think, I think you're, uh, you're hitting it right on the nub in terms of what, what, kind of has been in my mind, but um, let's do one more question or are we good with one more question? Go for it. One more. Okay. One more. And then we'll wrap this up. Uh, School of September series with Chris Rowe. Um, the, the, the other uh, dang, now I'm drawing a blank. I've got this uh, lightning round of questions I usually go through uh, <laughs> with everybody just trying to get your take. Oh, I know what it is. Okay. Hunting elk, uh, and, and let's say we've got a hunter out there and they're, they're interested in either cow calling or bugling a bowl, uh, getting one fired up. And we get this, uh, we, we've had these mild days, sunny, nice weather. All of a sudden a storm front rolls in and just pounds for an entire day, rains all day long, and then kind of blows out that night. How does weather fronts like that, uh, in the mountains specifically, um, how does that affect elk behavior and, and what they do and, and how they react to vocalizations and things like that? Well, in, in my opinion, I think it's going to be a little bit deeper than that. I think it's going to have to, you're, you're, we're going to talk about barometric pressure. So you can have a storm. So you can have, say a thunderstorm roll through and a, have a certain level of effect, but whether or not a weather system, has pushed through can have a completely different effect. So okay. no, there's absolutely, I mean, I can show you repeatedly examples where, yeah, you'll have a, you know, just crap day and just all the animals are hunkered. Nothing wants to move. Everything's just quiet. And then, you know, an hour before sunset, 
it just breaks and the sun starts coming out and it turns nice. And I mean, everything just cuts loose. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not just, not just the elk, but I'm talking birds are singing, squirrels are running around everywhere, chattering, dropping pine cone bombs out of the tops of trees. And I mean, everything is just alive. Cause they're like, yes, thank you, Lord. We're done. Okay. Absolutely. So if, if you're sitting in camp, just getting slammed with weather, and then all of a sudden it looks like it's going to break, oh, heck yes, I'm getting out there. Now, with that being said, however, don't be surprised sometimes where the weather kind of just moves on through or you, you don't even perceive the weather, and all of a sudden it just it's just everything's dead. You can have pressure systems go through that absolutely can tank the activity. Uh, I mean, I, I there, again, I have a video specifically about this on the module. Um, I am literally in Arizona. So anybody that doesn't know, Arizona has some units that are managed for just opportunity and everybody can go hunt. Uh, it's easy to draw. And then there's other, these premier units that might take 20 years to, to get enough points to draw. Unit 9, Arizona, is one of those premier units, which means it's got a hell of a high bull-to-cow ratio, and there's a lot, there's a potential to have a lot of good mature bulls in there. Yeah. Unit 9, Arizona, lies on the south rim of the Grand Canyon National Park. Okay, so you've got the Grand Canyon, then you got the Grand Canyon National Park, which is, lies on the south rim of that, and then you have Unit 9, which is, which is all public hunting. So you can't hunt in the park, obviously, but you can hunt right up to the fence line. Uh-huh. And so here I am. That's where I normally spend my my fall is is in Unit Nine. Because you're this you're guiding, just guiding. Yeah, this yep. year I'm going to be in a different. I'm going to be in Seven West this year. But so here I am, end of September. I am in the middle. I mean, there's like not a road around me for a couple miles. I am standing on the edge of the national park end of September, an hour before daylight, all the way through about nine o'clock in the morning, not one bugle, not a peep. And it had not been, it had been dead quiet for essentially that entire season. The way the weather patterns were coming through, it just kept pushing. It just kept. It just kept everything subdued. Nothing wanted to talk. Nothing wanted to. They were still moving to get water. They were still moving to go get feed. They were still out at night. Not. I mean, the squirrels weren't talking. The birds weren't singing. They weren't flying. You. You didn't hear ravens going over. Just check. Nothing. Nothing. It was just dead. 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 And so you sit there and you think goodness freaking gracious oh well maybe there's hunting pressure maybe there's this or maybe no it's the weather system that came through so if your rainstorm is coming through and it and it breaks i'm darn sure going to be out there but if 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 things don't kick off understand that they may be responding to a deeper weather pattern coming through and quite honestly that's where i say you might want to adjust your calling efforts to tailor that because otherwise if you're out there flapping your gums, trying to, to stir stuff up and no other animals out there talking, 
you're not very realistic and you're standing out like a sore thumb and you're probably not, you're probably not doing yourself any favors. So you got to kind of just take a look at whether it's a weather system or whether we're just talking about rain coming through, but. Gotcha. Okay. Like a weather system. Yeah. I think, I think he nailed it. Um, and, and what, what Chris is talking about with uh, learning to different, you know, you use those calls in those different scenarios uh, with weather systems and stuff like that. I want you guys to, to just remember the way to, to get the details of how that changes in your calling can be found at rowhuntingresources.com. You got to sign up and that's, that's where those, those details are. Um, Chris, this has been one of my uh, most enjoyable conversations that I've had on the podcast. And I don't say that lightly because I've had some really fun, entertaining and just deep, good conversations about hunting, man. And, uh, and so I don't say that lightly, but, but this has, I've learned a lot out of, out of just, I would love to get you back on at some point and just talk, go, go real deep into a lot of this, uh, the biology and the behavioral and, and these things that we could just really geek out on and, and a good time for that would be like in the winter when we're not gearing up for season and, and, and everything else. And probably right. Uh, probably right. You know what I mean? And just, or, just or, have or this. actually, or just like right after elk season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and right before uh, I fly out to Kansas because you're going to let me come and hunt on your farm and you're going to guide hey, me. Hey, if you can finagle a tag, <laughs> are they are the tags hard to get well they're getting that we had we had 12 hunters lined up <coughs> this year. we had a full i mean we had all of our guys lined up I and mean, we were packed to the gills and i mean i think half of our guys drew i mean it's getting it's getting to the point now where you really do need a preference point to draw with 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 confidence yeah yeah that makes sense and and, and i say that lightheartedly but but real in all reality um you know, I, I can master elk, I can master mule deer, I can master all these species, but whitetail are kicking my ass, man. They're kicking my ass. And I, I, I get these little whitetail bucks coming in and I, I'll, I'll take them because, uh, you know, there's my, my wife and I, we were camping a few weeks ago, came up with the best recipe for uh, tenderloin venison fajitas. Oh my goodness. Now, some people might laugh and think that that's a waste and, and you're doing it wrong, but you, you don't hate me because you ain't me. You got to try it. It's, it's, a, it's a great recipe and we're really into whitetails and I, I really want to master these whitetails, man, and they are just beating me up. They're beating me up like crazy. Well, here, I'll, I'll, I'll send you, I'm going to send you a picture right now. There, there you oh. go. Oh, no. Did you send it on, on Facebook or through email? No, face, I just mess, just Facebook Messenger. Here, here's, here. There. You, oh, there it is. I got, oh my goodness. Yeah. So yeah, Man, he's, that was just a couple days ago. Yeah. He, he's, he's going to be on our hit list, brother. <laughs> can you, can you just lasso him and tie him up to a tree until I can get there? No. Because <laughs> either, either I'm going to go after him or one of my guys is going to go. Yeah. We're, we're going to, we're going to see if we can't get him in the dirt this year. Chris, that is a stud, man. That is a stud of a white tail. Giant. Holy smokes. Wow. Look at that. Oh, and they, you set the other one where he's turned his head a little bit. Holy cow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're going to talk. Yeah, I, I need some help. I, I need some help. I, I don't even see white tails like that. Hey, but I tell you, if, 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 if folks out there have – so I'm in unit three, 
And if anybody has drawn a unit one, two, four, seven, I think any, any unit. So Kansas, you can choose a primary unit and then you can choose a secondary unit. And as long as that secondary unit touches your primary unit. So if anybody is, is, but, 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 but the beautiful caveat is you can actually go in and change your secondary unit. So if anybody drew any of those tags and wants to come out and hunt that we've got, we've got plenty of, plenty of openings. We've only got half our hunters this year. So, so yeah, is we, there, is there any chance of getting a tag for this year? Like draw yeah, or it's, it's done, yeah. right? Yeah, no, it's already done. And so you'd already had a draw mm. there. Kansas does not do landowner tags. There are no over the counters. There are no leftovers for our area. So yeah, you're done. You either, you are the either drew it back in April, May, or you don't have one. I'm going to come see you next year. Then I think, I, I, I think that'd be a good, I, I don't shoot that buck, man. Wait, wait till next <laughs> <Yeah>. year. <laughs> I tell you what, I, all I can promise is we'll try to make another one like that. Cause it, okay. it, I'm going to do my darndest to make sure he doesn't make it another year. Let's just put it that oh, way. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's, I, I highly recommend that. That's, that's definitely the path I'd be taking. So, all right. Awesome. No, that that's great. Well, that's that's a whole other conversation that uh, we're going to have to have yeah, in another yeah. time for sure. Because uh, I'm right. I'm super interested. I'm I'm serious about uh, coming to Kansas and and hunting with you. That that'd be a great time. And so, um, Chris Rowe, guys, RoeHuntingResources.com. I'm going to have the website in the show notes. I'm going to have the app in the show notes where you can just kind of link it. Uh, actually, I'm not sure how I could do that. You know what? Go to RoeHuntingResources.com. And if you go to the bottom of the homepage, you'll see four little tabs. And on the, on the furthest right, it says Elk Hunter Strategy App. It's called Elk Hunter Strategy App. Click on that, get the app, uh, and that'll be super helpful. And then I'll get your YouTube linked in there as well. Um, yeah, if, and if, so, if, if people want the strategy app for their phone, just, just go to the app, you know, whether you go to the Apple Store, you know, our app store on I, uh, for your i iPhone or go to the Android market for your um, droids or whatever. Um, yeah, just go to your – so it's either, yeah. either one of those, but then you just type in Elk Hunters Strategy App. Yeah. And yep. You, and it'll pop up there. Super easy. Highly recommend. Uh, the, again, this is just another tool for you guys to use. Um, these are These are all – uh, super effective. Row Hunting Resources is the website that took me from not knowing what it even sounded like to have an elk uh, respond to you to all of a sudden not knowing what to do when I have multiple bulls coming in to to my location and and figuring this stuff out. And, and it's it's really what, what turned the tide for me is, is what I like to say uh, nice. back in around 2013. So it's a it's, uh, I, I want to say maybe it was 2014, 20, one of those years, 2013, 2014, maybe it was even 2012. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I highly recommend it. Chris, as always, man, my brother, this is uh, yeah. this has been a great conversation. Thanks a bunch for joining me. Uh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to watching how your season unfolds. And let's uh, let's keep in touch. Absolutely, brother. It's been fun as always. All right. You take care. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. Glad you joined us. If you liked that episode, please tell a friend and let me know what you thought at jimandthewesternhuntsman.com. And don't forget to check out our show sponsors. The links are in the show notes. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain. Mm-hmm.